After a failed venture with Nintendo to release the PlayStation as the Super Nintendo Entertainment System CD in the early 90s, Sony made the decision to market its own console. This was a huge move in gaming. The PlayStation was released in Japan in December of 1994 and made its American debut September 1995. By 2005, the PlayStation had become the first console ever to ship 100 million units. The original PlayStation continued production until March of 2006. A total of 7,918 games were released for the console over its lifespan, with sales reaching 962 million units sold. The PlayStation 2 offered the ability to play over the internet, which combined with the most extensive line of launch games, DVD video playback, and Sony's creative marketing strategy led to its sales dominance over the rivals Sega Dreamcast and Nintendo GameCube. In fact, PlayStation 2 went on to ship 100 million units faster than any of its predecessors or competitors. The PlayStation 2 was a smash hit, completely leveling the gaming market in 2000, killing off the Dreamcast not even a year after its initial launch, I do feel Sega is partially to blame for that, though. Uh, over 3,800 games have been released on the PlayStation 2 with over 1.5 billion, with a B, copies sold. I find that really fascinating. More games made for the PS1 with less units sold. PS2, less games released, but more copies sold. Interesting. Very interesting. However, the next installment, the PlayStation 3, released in 2006, did not enjoy the same initial success as the earlier Sony consoles due to its high price tag, limited launch library, and its difficulty to get a hold of one. It was back in 2006. Sony did have steep competition, of course. It was the Xbox 360 and the amazing Nintendo Wii, in which we all know that the Wii single-handedly, no pun intended, revolutionized gaming all over again. I think that's another podcast topic episode, wouldn't you say? I think we should do that another time. A total of 1,090 physical games were released on the PS3 in North America. Just over 1,000. In 2013, Sony released the PlayStation 4, a next-generation PlayStation. Critics and players embraced this new platform, which boasted outstanding graphics, smooth online multiplayer. The PS4 also doubled as a Blu-ray player, which at the time was the cheapest Blu-ray player you could buy. It also featured Sony's PlayStation Now subscription service, which provided access to hundreds of current and legacy games from Sony. Sony also entered the expanding VR, virtual reality market, with the release of this PlayStation VR system. There are currently 3,209 games produced for the PS4, and people are still making, developers are still making games for the PS4, so that number will probably go up. Today, as of recording this episode, the current generation PlayStation 5, the PS5, was released worldwide in 2020. PlayStation 5 featured a solid-state drive customized for high-speed data streaming to enable significant improvements in storage and performance. An AMD GPU capable of 4K resolution display up to 120 frames a second, hardware-accelerated ray tracing for realistic lighting and reflections, featuring the Tempest audio engine, that gives you hardware-accelerated 3D audio effects. PlayStation 5 is backwards compatible with all but nine PlayStation 4 games. 
Other features include DualSense controller with haptic feedback. Again, the backwards compatibility with the PS4 games. Uh, as of recording this episode, there are currently 301 games released for the PS5, not including the, uh, the PS4 games that we spoke of earlier. That number, of course, is going to go up dramatically. Ladies and gentlemen, this was a rundown of the PlayStation's history, just to give you an overall picture and magnitude of the PlayStation brand and the franchise. In this podcast episode, Cameron and I are going to be sitting down and talking about where it all started back for us in 1995. We'll be discussing our earliest memories with the console, how it changed our gaming lives. We're also going to be talking about the first time we played the PlayStation 1. How about some hidden gems? They're going to be in there. Some of our personal favorites along the way. We're also going to dive deep in collecting for the PlayStation 1 and share some tips on how to find the best deals in today's crazy collecting climate. Say that 10 times fast. This is probably going to be a long episode, and it's all good. It's going to be a fun episode. So plug in your controller, plug in that memory card, get out the multi-tap, because you are all going to be playing with us in an awesome multiplayer session. This is episode 83 of the Heine House Gaming and Tech Podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the PlayStation episode. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Ladies and gentlemen, episode 83, yes. Thank you all so much for being here. And I'd like to give a very warm welcome to my good friend, the voicemail. Hold on, let me get my thing. The voicemail maniac, Mr. Cameron. Cameron, hello, sir. How are you? Doing great, Mr. Heine. It's kind of weird being uh, able to speak with you and not sort of have to, you know, have a it's not through voicemail it's through actual speaking so it's nice it's, it's a yeah. nice change this is some nice real-time stuff <laughs> yes and i don't have to keep it below uh, three minutes so this is automatically <laughs> going to be a, a an upgrade <laughs> exactly we went from three minutes to three hours it's going to be no problem at all <laughs> that's right that's right so, so thanks again first of all i just want to i want to thank you again for for always sending in great voicemails taking part in the uh in the podcast for supporting what I'm doing on Patreon, for just being a, a good, genuine friend. So thank you, Cameron. I appreciate you very much. Oh, absolutely. And just, uh, you know, thank you for uh, all the stuff that you do for the community and, you know, putting out content on a regular basis. It's uh, when, you know, when I started listening, it's been kind of like a, a companion piece to my life and something I can count on, kind of like a good TV show, but more interactive. And uh, it's about games. So uh, I like it even more than my favorite TV show. So yeah, thanks, Jason. We, we oh, all appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. So we're going to start this, and we're going to just jump right in. Um, and of course, before we do that, I always want to give a shout out and a round of applause to all of the amazing support, again, from you folks on Patreon. Thank you so much for the support, everyone in the ground floor, main floor, game loft. Again, the show is completely supported by your support here in pledging. So thank you. Appreciate that very, very much. Heinehouse.com is the website if you want to take part in everything else. It's going to be a long one, so we're jumping in. So Cameron and I had been talking about this for probably, a, I don't know, a month or two, brought it, brought it up on and off, and we really want to talk about this PlayStation, PlayStation 1 specifically. Um, we, we collect, we both collect for the PS1, and there's a lot of interesting ebbs and flows when it comes to collecting. I think in general, but as far as the PlayStation is concerned, 
there's a lot of interesting factoids about it, and we wanted to talk about it. And we're going to start at the very beginning. And uh, we, I do have this Google Doc. It's like five pages long of just me putting out my notes and to try to keep things, you know, together because my mind is so scatterbrained when it comes to this stuff. But I want to start at the very, very beginning and talk about our earliest memories um, experiencing the PlayStation 1. And I'll just start it off. I'll go first. I, and I've told the story on All Gen Gamers. I've told the story on Heine House Podcast. I've told it a million times. But it is, it is true and honest. And it's one of those things to where when you're a child and you experience something that really changes your life, and I know playing a video game console today may not seem like life-changing, but you have to put yourself kind of back in 94, 95. Like you have to just put yourself in this, in your shoes of what we're coming from, right? We're coming from no discredit to the Super Nintendo, no discredit to Sega Genesis at all, or the NES or the Master System or any of its consoles prior. But we <clears throat> jumped into the 32-bit systems here, CD-based. It was like... This was a complete departure from what we have known before. This was a complete revolution. The medium was different. The graphics were different. The input was different. Everything was just different. The graphics were amazing. The sound quality was better. It was basically night and day as the light switch on the PlayStation 1. And, you know, we had played consoles prior to that. I know I had played 3DO uh, prior to that. And it was amazing as well. But there was something special about the PlayStation 1. My first experience with the PlayStation one was at Sears, another, another, <laughs> another closed store, unfortunately <laughs> retailer, but you know, I mean, Cameron, you remember, I mean, Montgomery Ward or Sears or what, you know, there were these, these places actually not only <laughs> sold, you could go in there and buy a riding lawnmower and a PlayStation one. Right. Really yes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the, you know, it's kind of like the long lost, uh, Everything under the sun kind of store. I guess the closest we have is kind of Walmart, but it's, it's a whole different experience like Sears because they had, you know, like a department store and they had tools and you can get your car fixed. You can get your Super Nintendo. They had a little bit of everything. It was crazy. Yeah, it was really. I, I loved Sears. I loved walking through the tool, just the tool section and like, mm -hmm. oh, here's let's buy some Craftsman tools. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like it was it was quite interesting. But oddly enough, and this was had to have been this was right before the console came out because it wasn't available yet. They had a kiosk in there, like a demo kiosk. And it was strange because it was almost like on the edge of the electronics department, but it was close to like the clothing department as well. Mm -hmm. It was very strange. And I saw it over there and I like, I remember just running through like t-shirts and blouses and <laughs> jeans, like just get out of the way. And I ran over there and there's a PS1 kiosk there. And I played this PlayStation one and it, completely changed my life. I was I was that typical kid that was in there. And I remember I just ran away from my mom. She was like in the hallway or whatever, the aisleway. And I was like, mom, you got to see this. You have to see. Like it was changing my life as I was playing it. And she came walking over and she's, you know, typical. That, that's very nice, honey. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's nice. But that was like changing my life. I was playing a demo version. It was one track only. And you were on rollerblades. And you were rollerblading down a San Francisco street, jumping through gates, kicking and punching other people. You know what game I'm talking about. Is that the ESPN Extreme Games? My dude right there. ESPN <laughs> Extreme Games. That was the very first game I ever played on PS1 at that <clears throat> kiosk. And it changed my life because prior to that, I, was, I had played Road Rash on 3DO 
Again, mm-hmm. complete game changer. Great, great game. Loved it. Um, in fact, right here, I still I have the PC Classics right here. I have the, uh, we'll bring it up later. I got Road Rash right here on Big Box. I love I love that game. But it that was like a complete game changer for me to feature more than just motorcycles. It was like, you can go on a luge, you can do bike, you can do rollerblades, like different environments. It was, it was really quite a game. Very, very impressive. And the music had like nineties, like rock, you know, like pop rock. And it was, it was (laughs) cool, man. It was way cool. That was my earliest experience with playing it. Uh, We'll talk about getting it. It was Christmas that year. We got it for Christmas. My mom somehow secured one. I still, I still need to ask her, you know how she, she always was able to do that. Very, very crazy. I don't know. She went and bought it early. I think she always said, but yeah, that was that was my experience with the very first time playing PS One. Cameron, what about your story there? Well, you mentioned uh, 3DO, so this is uh, I, I was my first experience with a CD console was the 3DO, and I was one of those strange kids that you may have heard about in gaming mythology that actually had a 3DO about a year after it came out. Um, oh my gosh. I'm not sure how that happened, but uh, my grandfather spent a lot of money to get one for me and my cousin. Um, and I'm not sure how that happened and how, or how I wanted a 3DO, but um, that was my first CD console. And you, the reason why I mentioned that is Road Rash. So mm-hmm. Road Rash, I think, is probably in the top five 3DO games. Um, and I, I didn't own that game. I just rented it a whole bunch. I'm not sure why I never purchased that game, but... Uh, um, so Road Rash, uh, that was those graphics, you know, on 3DO. Um, I feel like the 3DO kind of made it, uh, they were doable, but on the, the PlayStation, it was kind of like with the X Games, for example, very similar graphics engine, but they kind of got that early 3D way better than the 3DO. Um, Agreed, yeah. But, you know, I was a, uh, a Nintendo 64 early adopter, um, so I didn't have a, PS1 for a few years, so I kind of had the 64. Um, and then my first experience, I want to say it was all because of Metal Gear Solid, to mm. be honest. Mm-hmm. When, when Metal Gear Solid came out, um, and I got to look at my game right here. So I think 98. So I was about three years late to the, the game, but um, I, I, I think it was advertisement or something. It might have been the video game magazines I was purchasing, but um, you know, I don't think I I played a, th- uh, a PS1 until I owned one. So I got it that Christmas. They had come out with the DualShock controller. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, I got that. I think my grandmother was actually living with us at the time. Uh, she, she had just had, uh, she was recovering from a surgery, so she moved in with us. So that was her present to me. I got the uh, PS1. I got Metal Gear Solid. And I purchased two other games. I got Tenchu Stealth Assassins, which has just come oh, out. Oh, yeah. Great game. Great game. And then um, I had purchased uh, a used copy of X-Men Children of the Atom, that mm. fighting game. Uh, so those are my three games. And this is very unlike me, but I remember that Christmas just like literally that's all I did. And I, I didn't shower for about three days <laughs> because, <laughs> yes. you know, I shower twice a day now. Don't worry. Yeah, this was yeah, right. this was back when I was just at home. It was just like, you know, with console launches, I know you remember, that's kind of like what we did. Like when a new console came out, it was like a life-changing experience. And that's like all you did is eat, sleep, play that console. Whatever game you had, you may have had you may you you'd be lucky to have three games. 
especially if it was a launch situation and you just play those games, you'd alternate, you may just had one game, you know? So that is what I did during that time. Just played, a. I alternated between Tenchu, like the first one and a half levels, because that game is really difficult, and then Metal Gear Solid. So, um, I mean, what amazing games to have, though. See, that that's when I've talked about this before in the past is that late adopting on a console is, is definitely not a bad thing. You have years mm-hmm. of the, the game library to build up. Two, right. you more than likely are able to get a sale on a console because they mm-hmm. may have done a revision, a slim or whatever variant, right? So you may be able to get right. the original console or a sale version. And they've updated things. Like you said, the, the DualShock controller came out. Or what was it? It was Dual Analog at first and then DualShock or something like that. Yeah, so yeah. I think, yes. It's it's just, it's a great, that was probably a, a wonderful time. You had the pick of the litter as far as games were concerned. So that's a great time to do it. Yes, yes, I did. But they, I, you know, as you mentioned before, I thought the launch lineup was, was pretty solid. They got, I mean, you know, this is an early 3D console. And uh, I think some of these games are still pretty playable. And this was kind of like at the cusp of the, the cool thing about the PS1 and why I'm such a big fan of, fan of the PS1 is because not only did you have them, you know, them trying to do, to do the 3D thing, but you also had them taking the 2D thing from like the, uh, you know, for example, like the uh, Super Nintendo and just making those games better, which to, to be honest is like my preferred graphical style or like really great looking 2D games. So you had sort of a convergence of the old style and then the new 3D technology converging and, and in, certain, in certain cases having a combination of the two. So really unique time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree completely. Yeah, and, and speaking of launch games, the PlayStation 1, uh, honestly, I feel it was extremely successful because, well, one, it had a huge, at the time you know, huge launch library. I mean, if we if we think back to earlier consoles, I mean, gosh, N64. Look, I, I'm i a huge fan of N64. I think I collect more N64 than I do PS1, but that launched with what? Mario 64 and what was it? Pilot Wings? I think it was just... Yes. I, I think it was just are, two, right? Right. Those are the first two games I remember. Um, I didn't have Pilot Wings. I had Mario 64, and I think that's all I had. I just would rent stuff. Yeah. Um, Pretty much. So yeah, it was it was a pretty small line, launch lineup for the 64. Absolutely. And so these consoles were coming out, you know, around the same time, you know, very close to that generation. Mm-hmm. And so the PlayStation hit us with Air Combat. I'll just let's just ramble off the, the launch games here. Air Combat, okay, Battle Arena Toshinden, ESPN Extreme Games, Kill League, the DNA Imperative, NBA Jam Tournament Edition, Power Stone 3D Tennis, The Raiden Project. Rayman, the birth of Rayman here, Ridge Racer, Street Fighter the movie, <laughs> and then Total Eclipse Turbo. So, like, right. look at look at that. We have we have sports, we have action, we have shooters, we have platformers, we have vehicles, we have race. Dude, they just basically nailed every genre for the most part. Mm-hmm. For the most part. Um, and gave gamers a great. That was that's a fantastic launch lineup, wouldn't you agree? Yes, it, yeah. And Raiden Project is still pretty sought after. It is. Um, 
if I if I know remember correctly. And what's interesting is going back to the 3DO, you know, the Total, Total Eclipse Turbo were the I think the first Total Eclipse games which are originally on 3DO. They put in a, uh, as like a launch thing for the PS1. I want to say Street Fighter the movie might have been a Saturn game just just prior, and they ported yeah, that. I agree. Yeah, and I think, it is. I think uh, Rayman may have come out on the Atari Jaguar. I'm not 100 percent sure first, oh, or maybe been around the same time. But um, I think uh, it's still like one of the, and that's such a colorful game. Um, but yeah, what a great launch lineup! You have pretty much everything you, you'd want. It's not just like one triple A game. You got you have pretty much everything you you want to start out with. You know, sports shooters, etc. So yeah, yeah, you definitely it it was definitely enough to warrant a purchase. And I think that's the big question. That is the number one question all gamers, customers, or people interested in buying these things are asking themselves. That's the question. Do the games at launch, what is what is the reasoning? Why would I want to day one purchase this console? What is there of value, right? So, and they 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 delivered. I agree. I think it's one of the, the greatest launch libraries, an early launch library for mm-hmm. uh, for a console. So they've already, coming out of the gate, super strong. Super, super strong. Yes. So you, I know you already mentioned it. You, you came through and said it, Metal Gear. What a great first game to play for you too. My gosh, you've you've got months and months of of gaming to do on that one for sure. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The first game I ever played was bundled with mine, and we, so we got the PlayStation that year during Christmas, which, in fact, I think it came out right before Christmas, right before holiday. And uh, you guys know what's what I'm going to show here. And if you're on YouTube watching the video which I encourage all of you to do so. I'll be showing off some games and some things here. But I'm holding up a copy of Ridge Racer. This was actually bundled. This is my original copy that was bundled with my PlayStation 1. They had a a bundle and it had a little sticker on it that said Ridge Racer included. And what's cool about this copy, and you're probably not going to be able to see it because I, I don't have autofocus. It's manual focus on my camera, so you're not going to see it. But my game on Ridge Racer which doesn't it doesn't affect anything with the value. I just think it's really cool. This is since it was bundled it says not for sale right on it here. So this is, you know, like the ones that they would use uh, in the bundle. So you could buy the retail copy or this one that was bundled. So it's a little different. I love variants. I know Cameron you're the same way. We like to have sometimes there's a variance and find find it to be very interesting and fascinating, but yes. Uh this is the this is the copy here and this was sold in this large long box the infamous PlayStation 1 long box, which we have a section about the long box and their variants later on in the episode. So very, very cool. Yeah, so it was really Ridge Racer. I played the snot out of that. I loved it so much. It was so great. Um, and then later on, as the console uh, progressed through the the months and years, you know, Twisted Metal, incredible game. Love Twisted Metal. Wipeout, Destruction Derby. Yep, they're all racing games I loved. I Honestly, I, I felt... When the PlayStation 1 came out, I really felt that the racing genre could shine so much brighter because of the elevated graphics. I really did. Mm-hmm. Like there there was we look back on it now and yes, say what you want. It's a lot of games didn't age very well. You know, there's a lot of jaggies, very pixelated. There's a lot of weird collisions and things going on in, on in the graphics. But at the time, at the time it really felt that we were in this like 3D world. You know, even like a, a game like Rayman or a game uh, well, like Metal Gear, same thing. Like you really felt that you were in that environment because of the 3D graphics. We had never really experienced that before. 
So it was right. very, very groundbreaking. Um, yeah, I just and, remember. Um, I get. Uh, not, I, don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, but everything looking like the the with the PS One like was so sharp. Like yes. even the intro screen, you know, with the like the white, like the logo and everything, it looks so precise. For and like you know, of course, in retrospect, maybe not so, but I mean, compared to what it was before, you know, it, it just had a whole different. Like each console has a sort of feel to like a different feel to me. And that's kind of what the PS1 had. Like it was the very first kind of like precise kind of like, uh, I don't know. That's just the feeling I get, but it has a distinct feel. The graphics, completely. Et and also it looked so good on a CRT. Oh man. You know? Yeah. It's just designed for that. It looks amazing on a CRT and four by three, you know, that we weren't widescreen yet. No, this was, this is just uh, the glory days, the glory days mm -hmm. of, uh, of consoles. Um, Speaking of the graphics and talking a little bit about that, I want to move into just talking a little bit about FMV for this console, full motion video, which was, again, now you're going to hear us talk a little bit about 3DO on and off here because that was the console that came before it that really mm -hmm. kind of paved the way for our love and passion for these CD-ROM-based, full motion video-based, 32-bit-based gaming, you know, that we'd experienced before. 3DO had done it. Um... That's where we got the taste. But it really wasn't until PlayStation 1 came out that we got the full plate. So the interesting thing about PS1, and I, I didn't I didn't write it down. I should have probably made a, a mention of it, of specifically what the technical, what, what it was. But Sony developed its own video decompression algorithm and process for their full motion video. It was something proprietary. So that's why, although the resolution is, you know, definitely squashed and not as good as, you know, normal television or TV or movies you'd watch, but they their streaming video was fantastic on the PS1. It was very, very good. The frame rate was good. The quality was good. And it was their own proprietary algorithm that they used to do this. It's like deep something. I, I don't remember exactly what it is. I should have wrote it down. I'm sorry I didn't. But that was really, really nice. So, like, we were coming from 3DO, seeing it, thinking, wow, you know, it looks cool. But then when you saw it on a PlayStation, wow, like, it looks so much better. I remember playing, uh, bring up Road Rash. That has a ton of FMV in it. Mm -hmm. And the cutscenes in Road Rash on PS1 just looked better. I think the resolution may have been a little smaller than 3DO. I think 3DO had a bigger, I think the screen size, it had a bigger, res a wider resolution or higher, sorry, higher resolution. And a PlayStation maybe had it shrunk down a bit, but it just looked nicer, of course. So a little it, sharper. Yeah, yeah. Looked sharper. And I think it just ran smoother. So interesting stuff about there. But FMV, yeah, they definitely hopped on the bandwagon. Now there wasn't a like tons and tons and tons of FMV games, but they had a good chunk, a good handful. Games like Wing Commander, Heart of the Tiger. There's actually two Wing Commanders on that, starring Mark Hamill. Great games, love them. Actually. Uh, yeah, I've got, I've got it right back here. Heart of the Tiger, great game. Uh, Road Rash, I've already mentioned that before. Uh, but don't forget about Command & Conquer. Command & Conquer had great full motion video throughout. Great voice acting and great acting, I thought, throughout. It, I mean, you play a game like Warhawk, which I really love on this console. Has It has FMV as well. Super, super cheesy. And <laughs> it's just, you know, not that it's like cringe. It's just like a sign of the times, right? You have to put yourself in that perspective. I give, I give everything the benefit of the doubt. I, I definitely give, I think more credit 
then it's it's really easy to just be like, oh, that's really cheesy and it's funny and we'll laugh at it. But you have to put yourself in the in their position. Like they're producing a, a movie really for a video right. game with a budget. They had a huge budget to do this. Like, dude, they're filming on like, they're probably filming on like analog tape, right? This was this was before digital cameras. So right. you got to give them some respect. Yeah, it's cool to laugh at it sometimes. But no, man, like, even though it may be kind of corny and cheesy looking today and now, back then, it was mind-blowing. And then, of course, a game like Wing Commander, which is produced by uh, uh, Roberts, Mr. Chris Roberts. Huge budget. I think that game had the largest budget of any game to ever come out at that point. Hmm. I think it was in the... Wasn't it like... He had like I don't know what it was, a million bucks or something to produce that game? Something crazy. I'm probably wrong there, but... Um, yeah, the FMV stuff. I think it's just a fascinating time today. It's, 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 we don't talk about it. It's just, they'll play a movie, they'll play a clip, they'll create their own environment, you know, but back then right. there was actual movie clips. I don't know. I, I just love FMV stuff. No, I, mean, I, I agree. Like, um, I think, uh, the PS one was probably the, the pinnacle of, of that style. And I think the first FMV, I think the Sega CD, you know, it's, there was a ton of really bad, FMV games where just the resolution was absolutely horrible. Right. Um, and then, you know, they didn't really know what they're like. They, they try to make it more like an interactive movie where you, you kind of click on things like night trap, which of course was super controversial, mm-hmm. um, you know, stuff like that. But, uh, and 3DO, uh, of course they had some of those games, but then I think the big change they made was instead of making it like a point and click thing. And then based on what, you know, sort of timing things, stuff would happen like road rash, they had an actual game in there, and then they used the FMV as cutscenes to make it more of an experience, like a cinematic experience. And like you said, I think the the culmination was probably like Wing Commander, which is a great sort of flight simulator. You can kind of think of it like you know, like the uh, Tie Fighter X Wing games were similar. Wing Commander, mm-hmm. um, and then it was like a movie. It it was, and I played it on the 3DO. Uh, and man, that game blew me away. And you know, decisions you'd make in that game would uh, determine what would happen in what cutscene. So, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, when people think FMV, they think negative thoughts. Um, but really, uh, you know, we still have s- similar stuff now, but the cutscenes are in games are actually like with in-game graphics. They kind of got away from the going from like the video kind of thing, you know, live action thing to the game itself, which was, it, it, I, it was kind of a weird juxtaposition. Um, and I guess same thing with like digitized characters and like Mortal Kombat kind of games. It, eventually they, they sort of decided, all right, let's get just, a, we can do great graphics now. Let's go to that. So it's sort of a lost art form, I, I think. I agree. Uh, but, yeah, I agree. But uh, boy, nostalgia. It's, uh, I, I still get a kick out of the games, just like you. I will always prefer Mortal Kombat 1 and Mortal Kombat 2 and Mortal Kombat 3 oh, yeah. characters that were recorded on Sony Digital 8, High 8 tape and cut and imposed into the game. I will always prefer that look. Yes. I remember, what was it for? It was Mortal Kombat 4 mm. that oh, went. Yeah. And I, I honestly, I didn't even play that game because I just could not, I did not even like the look of it. I was that stubborn and like mad Right, <laughs> that it changed. I was, I was like, yeah. I was like the angry kid on the block. I'm like, no, no, I'm not playing this. 
And yeah. yeah, man, it's just, there's something really special about the way that that looks and FMV, the way it looks. And you're right now, you know, you can do these in-game engine. Like imagine, I mean, they're using Unreal Engine. It's just, that's the, one of the greatest engines ever made. It's just, you can do everything with it. And right. why would you not? You know, why would you, why would you do anything separate? It was a, a sign of the times with how technology was at the, t at the time. Like the game engines couldn't do those cutscenes. But they're right. like, well, we could play back video. <laughs> yeah. Right. You're damn right. We could play back video. We just have to figure out how to compress it to, you know, 120p at 15 right. frames a second. But we can do it. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, nowadays, like the cuts, it's like, you know, back during this time, we'll talk about it with RPGs and stuff coming up. But uh, the cutscenes were always looked so good. Incredible. And then when the game happened, you'd be like, ah, it's kind of a little bit of a letdown. But you, you know, it's, the game still looked great. Nowadays, it's like the cutscene is the game. There's no difference in the graphics, really. You know, it's just it's very seamless. Um, you know, nowadays, but uh, back then, they they just, you know, some of the greatest things have come with the limitations that you know were given. Um, so, you know, just very special. It is. It really is. That that's a great way to put. It. It's just very very special. And you know, I don't ever want to come across like, you know, it, it's hard because unless you lived through it, right? Unless you lived through it and experienced it, uh, it's hard to put into a, a visual perspective. But that's why we want to talk about this and bring up memories and stuff and to, to kind of help paint the picture a little bit as we move through the uh, the the early days of the PlayStation 1. And speaking of mm -hmm. the early days of the PlayStation 1 and, and moving forward on everything, you know, there was a lot of games... And I, I talked about this in the intro. Let me go back, scroll up here to see if, if I remember where this is. 7,918 games were released Jeez. for the PlayStation 1. Think about that for a second. Think about that for a second. That's insane. The PlayStation 2 had 3,800. So half. Half. Less than half. Yeah. yeah. And here's the thing. PS1 sold 962 million units. Um, of of sales of games, mm -hmm. PS2 uh, with with just under half sold 1.5 billion. So with less games sold more. I mean, what what do you think that is? Grand Theft Auto? <laughs> it's got to be. There's, I think uh, it's got to be. It, yeah, I think probably what it is. It's um, you know, not to get into the not to not to sidetrack too much, but. I want to say the PS2 was like the first launch. I remember people actually like going to the store and like camping out, you know? Yeah, I agree completely. I think, yep. I, I think they had, they had probably more system sellers like Grand Theft Auto um, in the PS1, you know? Um, so I think that's probably what it is. It, they just probably had almost like, like blockbuster kind of games. The first that I remember, like everybody had Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Um, Grand Theft Auto was a wholly, totally different game on on the PS1. So, you know, once again... Yeah, it was a top-down thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. I remember playing, of course, the Grand Theft Auto um, and enjoying it, but, I mean, yeah, your, your character was like a tiny little dot almost on the screen, and they, they obviously perfected that game with the PS2, so just another, another um, evolution of games going forward, but... Uh, it's weird, man. You know, uh, the PS1 is so important, I think, in, in game history. It Just, really is. Uh, it, I mean, you, and you look at that. Like, you look at the PS2 and how, how many it sold, how many units it sold with, with less games. It just shows you that the PS1 came through and just completely a 
annihilated any and everything that we knew about gaming prior. And it was like, this is gaming, period. This is how you do gaming. And it just changed everything. So when the PS2 right. came out, yeah, dude, everyone was hyped. Dude, people who may not have been into gaming, they're into gaming now because of mm -hmm. that. You know what I mean? Like some people's first experience with gaming is PS1. And right. one experience that is. Right. Speaking of the experience, these are some of the, I just made a quick list here of some of the powerhouse games that were in these different genres. The PlayStation 1 had in, incredible games throughout many, many genres. Um, starting, of course, with with RPGs. You can't leave RPGs off the list here. There was, my goodness, I mean, the Final Fantasy franchise, I mean, Final Fantasy VII, and the whole series in general. I mean, I, I would go as far to say that, I mean, you hear about Final Fantasy VII to this day as one of the greatest, if not the greatest Final Fantasy game ever made. I mean, right. there's people that will fight over that shit. Right. Um, I'm a six you fan, played it. But, yeah. But oh, you're seven. six. Okay. I'm a six fan. Or, you know, of course it was three in the United States, but um, that's my favorite. But I mean, I think the Final Fantasy VII, it was the first, I think, 3D Final Fantasy. And people... Like I, I've met, I've met more people that are so are die hard about that Final Fantasy than any other Final Fantasy. So yeah, it's it's uh, super important. You know, and you'll ask them, and they'll just tell you about how great it is, and that, what a magical time, and the introduction of 3D and storytelling, and and music, and sound design. There was there were so many worlds that opened up going to CD-ROM uh, for an RPG. And they definitely explored that and exploited that. I think they're they're all pretty fantastic. Um, other notable games, of course, Xeno Gears on the PS One. We had a, a, a kind of a re-release, but uh, the Chrono Trigger, and Chrono Cross. I think I think it's a two pack, isn't it? I think it is. I think Chrono yeah. Cross. Okay, yeah. I, I'm I trying to remember is. the box. Uh, Parasite Eve, of course, and just so many more great RPGs that were on this console. And this is when. How many discs are these RPGs? Uh, the answer is many. <laughs> at, at least three or four, sometimes more, I think. I remember Final Fantasy VII. Isn't it three or four? I think, I it's, think three. it's I think it's four. four I okay. mean, maybe three. It, it gets confusing because yeah. a lot of times I'll pack in a demo. Like that, that was like what Square would do a lot. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. They would put like a bonus disc. Right, there'd be like multi disc. Well, some games there would be like one game disc. They throw a, they they throw like a demo disc of like stuff coming out. Um, but I, you, I think you may be right. I think Final Fantasy Seven uh, had three game discs and one demo disc. I'm That's right, because they were in sure. that that nice. And I love these these massive jewel cases that opened up both mm -hmm. sides, and it had four disc holders in there, and then slots in the middle for two manuals basically jewel case oh, yeah. size manuals so yeah those do i have one no i don't have one here but yeah they're uh they're great um i always love those they take up like two like two and a half or 2.3 <laughs> jewel case sizes and like remember our, our jewel case like cd holders like they would have like four slots in the bottom <laughs> that were cut out specifically for those because they're a little yeah. bit bigger yeah good times Definitely yes uh I was going to say the, um, you, you felt like you were getting more, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It was like a, like a deluxe thing. It was kind of like the special edition before the special edition existed. You know, you got the, uh, you get a map sometimes, you get like the three or four discs, and you get a manual that'll be super thick. 
Um, so it was like a very satisfying package. You know? For sure. For sure. Agree completely. Um, PlayStation one had a ton of great horror games as well. Um, some notable Absolutely. mentions, of course, Castlevania. There were s- several on the console there, Castlevania. There was also, I mean, maybe I should save it for the last mm-hmm. one because it's so important. But, I mean, Resident Evil, hello. Resident yeah. Evil, one of the greatest. Um, Silent Hill, which is, which I see people still streaming and playing and talking about even to this day, of course. It's fantastic. Alone in the Dark, that series was uh, was coming out there. You know, I always... I'll be on. I'm always been honest about this. I've said this from the very beginning. I don't really like horror games that much. I <laughs> don't like being scared or freaked out or jump scare <laughs> or, or or panicked when I'm playing. Gaming to me is not. And I know, dude, I am a minority on this. Nobody like very few people think like this. I know because everyone loves horror games. I don't really care for that experience. I like to have. Casual, fun, exciting, like engaging, challenging experience when I play. So I don't like to be like jump scared and stuff like that. And I think it's because Resident Evil screwed me over. Dude, you're preaching to to the choir because I'm the same exact way. Like I have all these games. Um, I love them. I try to play them, uh, but I will scream (laughs) <laughs> when something happens with uh, even like going back to the, the graphics that just aren't, I mean, you know, the cutscenes are pretty gory and detailed, but the blocky characters, you know, and like the tank controls, but that's part yeah. of the issue because you're, you feel like you're out of control. Like yes. you're trying to run away from the, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, get away from this guy. And it, it it's, it's like, makes me so nervous. And, uh, when you're like walking around a corner and then like the, the, uh, the camera changes, all you hear is like a, uh, you know, yes, like, you that's exactly that. it too. Dude, oh you did that God, really well. Dude. That was perfect. Yeah, it, it uh, <laughs> just the sound, and like you know, the sound design. I mean, it was a whole different level. And like when you'd shoot a gun, like the uh, the shell would like bounce around, and it, you, would, you would hear that like sample of that like ding, you know, like bouncing. Yeah, yeah. And like the gunshot, it's oh my gosh. Um, I, I I think um, I like I love I love the concept of the games. I love like going around getting keys and stuff, but my, like my ideal horror game would probably not include any, any chance of getting like, uh, you know, eaten by a zombie. It would just be like finding like all the clues and it'd be being spooky. Like I could play these games when I was younger, but as a 37 year old adult male, I cannot play those games anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear this because, uh, I feel like, I feel like everyone else, and their mom loves the horror games, stuff like that. So right. I'm happy to hear that. And I've, I've mentioned this again. I, this is another story I've told a million times. It's really about, for me, it's about being chased in games. Yes. Yes. I hate yes. being chased by stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I it think, just uh, freaks me out. The, uh, this, this is going back to something different, but like the water level and, um, Probably the first experience of being chased or being scared in a game was probably Mario 64 and the water level when, uh, like, you're trying to get the stars and there's those, like, uh, gigantic eels and, like, the shark swimming around. Oh, dude, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my first, because I'm, I'm already kind of afraid of, like, sharks in the ocean. I mean, it's not a, a, a logical fear of being, you know, living in Tennessee, but uh, I'm already afraid of that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. So... 
So, like, you know, of course, this is sort of the next evolution. You know, being chased in a game with tank controls is not a fun experience. I'm sorry, but it is not fun for me. Yeah, you just have a bunch of you just have a bunch of uh, red flags going against you anyway. The tank controls, the camera angle, the loading times, mm -hmm. the you know, <clears throat> the narrow field of view. I mean, we just there's so many issues, you know. And and right. and hey, I'm just going to say I'm going to put it out there like we absolutely must and will give respect to the genre, to the franchises, to all this because they created something so absolutely stunning and mm -hmm. amazing to where it freaks us out to where we can't even play it. That right there is magic in a bottle. So shout out and big, big ups and respects to, to these horror games because yeah, I mean, that's, you would think, Oh, it's just a video game. Who, who cares? I'm not afraid of this. I'm not afraid. Mm -mm. Dude, when those, when those dogs jumped out of the window oh, in Resident Evil God. and just started chasing me, it's I, I turned me. the console off and I walked away. I, I don't think <laughs> I've played it since 96. I don't think I've played it since then. It just freaked God. me out. When they, when they smashed through the uh, the, the window, because it, it was it's quiet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so quiet in that hallway, and I'm just mm -hmm. like creeping, quiet, quiet. And then the glass shattering was like uh. so loud. It was like 30 dB louder than anything else in in the game. And, and that music. Yeah. Oh yeah, the music uh. kicked in. The dogs were chasing. And I, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a no thanks. Yeah. So <laughs> hey, but hey, if you if you're into that thing, definitely check out. Well, most people already know about it, but uh, if you haven't experienced that yet, give Resident Evil a shot. Yep, or Silent Hill. They're kind of like the, I guess Silent Hill is like the Konami Resident Evil. I mean, it's not that's not to downplay it, but I mean, they're two of the greatest game companies came out with two of the greatest survival horror franchises. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. And I think I want to say I think Silent Hill is focused a bit more on story. Mm -hmm. because uh, I was actually watching this recently. Stephanie was watching some gameplay of it, and I was like, oh, yeah, Silent Hill, that's right. Um, I was like, I'm going to put that on the list. Those are great games. And I was watching it, and it's definitely more towards kind of exploration and story. Not necessarily, like, it's almost more a little twisted as opposed to, like, jump scare type stuff from what I was watching. Right. So, right. yeah, they're both both fantastic games. Mm -hmm. Um. How about action games? I mean, there's tons and tons of action games as well. And I put a few on this list uh, just to bring up kind of sort of hidden gems in a way too. But uh, a game that really stands out for me on the PlayStation is Die Hard Trilogy. There's actually two Die Hard games on this console. Die Hard Trilogy. And then I think Die Hard Trilogy, I think it's called 2, Viva Las Vegas. Yeah, I think you're right. Both of those games criminally unheard of and underrated they're a three in one game and they feature uh, a racing aspect almost like a smuggler's run type thing they feature a real true light gun experience like a virtual cop it really is and then the third one is like a third person action shooter game all three built in and you can switch between them and honestly fantastic fantastic experience those are great great action games um i didn't mean to like go off the rails here and oh, no, talk about no. die hard but like i wanted to mention it because it's really really so fantastic um and that's a pretty unique game i mean that was kind of unheard of for for that for th essentially three genres to be seamlessly uh combined right and, and for know. all three of them to actually be good they right. all could have easily been their own game on their own 
100%. But they somehow crammed them all in and gave you just this massive package of three great games. Honestly, it's it, it blew me away. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think uh, I'm trying to think of any other action games. One that comes to mind. Have you did you play the Spider-Man games? By any chance? Not on PS One. No, I haven't. Those are are pretty good. Um, I mean, of course, it, I think it was one of the better uh, of that that type of superhero game. Um, but yeah, when I th- honestly, when I think of action games, that, that's Die Hard is the first thing that comes to mind. Die Hard trilogy. Yeah, on the PS One for sure, hands down. It's just. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's other great, you know, like um, right here. I'll pull it out. Loaded, you play Loaded. This is another oh, great, yes. top down, very brutal, very difficult, very dark. But what an what an awesome awesome game is um, done by Gremlin and Interplay. This is like a, a top down, almost like dungeon crawly kind of shooter, like Smash TV style. Right, and it's fantastic. They did a second one as well, but I prefer the first one. It's very very good. And you can play it in two-player. The hardest part about this game is just figuring out where the hell to go. The mini-map <laughs> is like a couple right. of pixels, right? And it's it's right. unforgiving. They're like, eh, good luck, you idiot. Have you played, um, well, of course, Diablo, the first Diablo came out for uh, PS1. Um, similar, right. but it was, of course, in like a medieval setting. Um, and then there's a game called, uh, it was the first Legacy of Cain game, I think, mm-hmm. called Blood, Blood Omen Legacy of Cain. I actually just started playing that, but Oh, did you? I see. I haven't played that one yet. It's kind of similar to, to Diablo, um, okay. like in that sort of style. It's it's different, but it's it's uh, that kind of top down, like reloaded or like loaded and, and then reloaded as well. So great game. I'll have to check that out for sure. I'll have to look through the the list. I I I have a lot of games on PS One, and I kind of kind of like the Wii, and not to get distracted on off subject here, but like I have a ton of what would be considered like shovelware. On PS One, I do like collecting the oddities and weird stuff on PS One, but I was collecting back in the day when they were like fifty cents and a dollar. You know what I mean? Like just cheap people Those offloading. Days. Yeah, days are gone. As we'll, Those we'll were the days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, back on track. Let's talk more about these genres. Great stuff here. Next up on my list here is racing. This is a big one. You guys know I'm a huge racing fan. Uh, this is really. This is my bread and butter, my genre. But the first game, obviously, Ridge Racer. But the first Ridge Racer isn't my favorite Ridge Racer. The PlayStation 1 had Ridge Racer Type 4, which really is one of the best racing games on the console. Um, and one of the greatest Ridge Racers to exist. Controls are very, very tight. It's very arcade style. But also, it's almost slowed down a bit. And hmm. it it's more... Um, it's easier to manage, I think, is the best way I can put it. It's not as chaotic, and the cars have um, some more depth to them. The tracks are very highly detailed. It runs really, really well. It just plays really great, and it has the best, one of the best soundtracks, I think, on the PlayStation, on hmm. any game. It's so, so good. You absolutely have to check out. Go on YouTube and just type in Ridge Racer Type 4 soundtrack and listen to that. It's 90s in a in a bottle it's so so great that one's um, uh I, i've never played that one but that one's on my list to pick up because i've heard really good things like it's kind of like is it sort of similar to the gran turismo as far as like uh they kind of go with that more realistic look to it but is it more ar- arcadey gameplay than gran turismo 100 i 
I really wouldn't put them in the same category almost at all. Okay. They're maybe visually because Namco did some incredible trickery to get it to look really good and play really well, but it's not like Gran Turismo at all. Gran Turismo, very much sim, very realistic, mm-hmm. very physics-based, weighty-based. This, not so much. Um, yeah, two totally different games. And that's that's the nice thing about it is you're going to get two different experiences from those games, which is really, really nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely, Cameron, pick that up for sure when you find it. Okay, um, I will. Get yourself the Nikon controller. Namco released a controller. It's called it's the Nikon, N-E-G-C-O-N controller. Okay. And this is, I think I did a review on it on my channel maybe back in 2010, 2011. I don't remember what year it was. It's a long time ago. But it's a it's the controller that the Namco specifically made for for Ridge Racer, and you twist huh. it, you actually twist it like oh, you're, wow. you're wringing out a, a a wet rag. You know, you twist I think, it. Uh, I think I've seen that before, but uh, I've never I've never tried it. But it, that's oh, it's I, I it's love these wonderful type of peripherals. Yeah, yeah, know? so unique. They're wonderful, and also on the front where your right thumb goes, it has two like A and B buttons, and they're analog. They're actually like tall buttons. So you huh. actually have analog throttle and brake right there at your fingertips. Really? Yeah. So you get full analog support on your steering by twisting, which is a steering wheel, and then throttle okay. and brake with your thumb. Dude, it's brilliant. And it plays so good with Ridge Racer, what it was designed for. So put that also on your list. Uh, buy a Nikon and Type 4. You'll be okay. super happy you did. My list is getting... Getting uh, forever longer. <laughs> never ends. Yes, never ends. the never-ending list. Never-ending list. Um, so, yeah, that's Ridge Racer, of course. But, of course, Gran Turismo 1 and 2, I think w- the greatest Gran Turismo's ever made. My favorite. I really love 2. Um, I mean, it can be said that Gran Turismo 3 on PS2 is the best Gran Turismo game. I would argue that as well. But on PlayStation 1, I feel like the second Gran Turismo is just pure racing brilliance because we really entered the sim racing world. We had never been there before. Maybe we had tried. We had tried. Okay, look. I remember going to my pizza joint in 1991 and sitting down and playing. I knew you're going with this. (laughs) You know where where I'm going with this. You know, hard driving Atari. (laughs) Yes. And I remember playing this, the flat shaded polygons, the full clutch. I didn't even know what a clutch was. At that point, it had a metal real working key to start the car. It had full analog force feedback wheel. We had four gears on a real gear shifter. I'm like, how do I even play this game? I put like a dollar and quarters into this machine. I couldn't even get the car started. I sat there for 60 seconds until the time ran out, trying to figure out how to start the car, put in the clutch, put it in neutral, turn the key. I didn't know that. I had no idea. We weren't ready for that. I wasn't ready for that. Yeah. (laughs) But it changed my life. I said, this is the future. Holy shit. This is like, this is like real, this is like a real car, you know? Mm-hmm. So th- coming from that, then going into a Gran Turismo experience, sure, we didn't have the physical apparatus and, and cockpit to, to be driving in, but we had the experience of driving it and owning a real car, a real garage. We had a stable of cars. We could go look at them. We could go look at their stats. We could spin them around and we could put them on the track. We could race in real world places. We could drive in Laguna Seca. Like we could go to these places. 
mm-hmm. it was mind mind numbing for me. And as a car lover and racing arcade racing fan, going into the sim world was was incredible, and I really really loved it. I know you played yeah. some Gran Turismo. You had to have. Oh, uh, we. I think everybody probably did in that. Uh... That time, um, even, even if you weren't a fan of, of racing or, or sim or anything like that, like you would, you heard about it. Oh, People yeah. were talking I mean, about it. I think the the fact, like the graphics were, I think up until that point, those are the best graphics I'd ever seen on a on like a that on, on at least the PS one and just like the, I remember there being like all reflections and stuff in the car, and uh, I remember being really horrible at that game, but I remember it looked really good. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. You're not, yeah. You're not used to like you mentioned like the weightiness and this is like the, the momentum. You're not used to like whoa, this isn't like the arcade racing. It's, this isn't like Mario Kart, you know, or whatever. Right. So right. Um, it's a whole different thing. And I'm 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 more like you. I think uh, I prefer the more arcade type racing games um, to the simulation, just because I'm when it comes to that kind of stuff. I'm more of a layperson. Uh, you know, I'll, I appreciate the sim stuff, but uh, I'll get my simulation in a, you know, of course, different in different genres versus racing. I just get, I get more frustrated than anything in the sim, simulation racing games, but it sure was beautiful. And I mean, gosh, it's uh, that was like so influential for racing games to come. You know, yeah, you one hundred percent nailed on the head. It really changed the genre, and it made everyone kind of take a step back and like have a meeting. <laughs> I can see, I can yeah. see all the developers like worldwide going, um, have y'all seen what polyphony digital just released? Uh, folks, we're going to have to have a team meeting here about this and really up our shit. We're gonna have to up our game. <laughs> you yeah. know, I can see it. Yeah, they really did. They changed everything with that. Um, speaking of arcade, more racing games here, the incredible need for speed franchise, which mm-hmm. we had the very first need for speed was on. There was actually four or five need for speed games on this console. And it was, it was a powerhouse at the time we had the original road and track present need for speed, uh, which have, mm-hmm. we have over here, but it's, you know, that was a great introduction and almost kind of like, it was like a, a digital magazine showcase right. of a game, right? They wanted to showcase road and track presents. They wanted to, you know, come in there and actually show the cars, talk about the cars and let you get behind the wheel of these exotics. Right. Where quickly after they realized, Oh, we have a hit on our hands. Let's take it to the next level. So we got need for speed Two came out. We have, um, need for speed three hot pursuit, which was a grand slam, huge success killer app. In fact, that's the one to have. And it actually spawned uh, a few other games too. Like, my favorite on the, on the console, which you wouldn't think. Yeah. I played a ton of high stakes or um, a ton of um, hot pursuit, but my favorite is need for speed, high stakes. This is the one that no one really talks about. And it's kind of like, I think people weren't, people weren't into it because it was way different than hot pursuit. They wanted the cops chasing you. They wanted the chaos. They wanted the 300 miles an hour. They wanted the arcade experience. This one kind of toned it down and tamed it back a bit. And, I do like the controls and I do prefer this game um, for those reasons, but you cannot, you cannot deny the incredible experience of hot pursuit. I think that is, that's the one to have for sure. Um, you know, and this just kind of goes back to the 3DO. I know if this is, this is, this is the PS1 episode, but you can't talk about the PS1 without the 3DO. Cause I think the first time I've played a needs for need for speed game, I borrowed my friend's, uh, 
Need for Speed uh, Road and Track uh, for the 3DO. And then um, we got a better version on the PS1. So um, yeah, it's, it's weird, too. And, and that, it's funny how that's like the, 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 you know, like you said, it was like the magazine. Road and Track was a magazine. So and then it became its own thing. It started out as just kind of like a what's advertised as Road and Track presents whatever Need for Speed. And then it totally branched out and did its own thing. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And it was it was almost like, you know, the road and track, the need for speed, like this was an attempt. This was a, you know, they didn't know what they were getting into when they did this. Right, right. They were like, let's just do a document, like a documentary, a digital documentary on these games. And people were like, no, I really want to do these. I really want a racing game. Right. And it was a huge hit for sure. Right. Yeah. And, and I agree. The PS1, they're different. The ports are different. The hardware is different. They're able to do different things. I like the 3DO version because it's actually slower. Oh, it's so it's so slow by today's standards. Yeah, it would yeah. shock people. The the gameplay is it's so it's so much slower that the gameplay is completely altered because of it. Right. And so the PS1 version uh, runs way faster. It runs at a higher frame rate. The controls are more responsive. So it just kind of depends on what you want. And to be honest, I think both are great. Uh, the PS1, definitely I prefer because of the speed and uh, the gameplay and all that. Um, and also playing two players, just it's easier to do on the PS1 because of the two controller ports. You know, remember the mm -hmm. 3DO? You have to plug in player two in uh, your player one that, controller. What? That was so weird. It's weird. It's that weird daisy chain. And people knock it a lot, and I get it. But um, in a way, it, it, it's kind of a... You, you end up having ex an extended uh, controller as a result so it's like you don't have to both be connected to the console which sometimes may be i think that's what they were going for you know yeah. where there'd be um, no other reason i don't think i mean it's you know it's it's basically an ex extension right you know one right. cable coming back and then your buddy could be sitting in the couch like yeah i mean i don't know that yeah that makes but sense i guess the problem is when you're getting your ass beat and like twisted or or when, like samurai showdown if you throw your controller <laughs> <laughs> the other controller is going with it. <laughs> yeah, or you can be like, you know, the player one asshole and just unplug the controller. That's what <laughs> That's happened right. a lot at our house. Like, oh, man, right. what? Yeah, so good stuff there. And we'll, I'll try to wrap up racing here because I can be here all day. They had, you know, they had a port of Hydro Thunder, obviously Road Rash we talked about. There were three mm -hmm. different Toka. These are also great uh, sort of simulation games from Codemasters. Again, Codemasters in their prime, in their heyday right here. Toka, race driver games. I think there was three of them in there. Uh, so check those out when you get a chance. Uh, more, it's, it's more sim, but it leans more towards Simcade, I would say. Um, and then, of course, the incredible... We can't talk about racing without saying the Wipeout series. Wipeout 2, right. Wipeout XL. All incredible, amazing, futuristic racing games that, that really gave everyone who loved F-Zero a real run for their money. Right, and you, we, we could all, almost have a separate episode on like the kart racers that came out. Um, oh, jeez, I didn't even put I mean, them in. I didn't even put them in. It's There's our, so many. Uh, uh, one I'll mention is Speedpunks. That's a really fun. Oh one. yeah, um, dude. Yes, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Hell yeah. <laughs> and uh, actually, one of my favorite genres, which I didn't like as a kid, but now I love, are like the speed of Codemasters, like the Micro Machines games. Dude, you know? Yes, love um, them. My favorite. I'm holding in my hand Micro Machines V3, which is on the PS1. I think that could almost be a hidden gem. But uh, Oh, I agree really completely, really cool 100%. Really cool game. So, yeah, check that one out, too. So, sorry, side tangent here. Yeah, V3, yeah. love it. 
that's an incredible game. Now you love mm-hmm. the N64 as well. Have you mm-hmm. played Micro Machine 64 uh, Turbo? Dude, I have not. I've never even heard of that game. Oh my God. <laughs> Cameron, get it. Put it on your list. Yeah, just put it on your list. Micro Machines Turbo. It's Micro Machines 64 Turbo. Put it on there. It's okay. basically the N64 port of V3. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also, it has a bunch of more, has more courses and more Micro Machines added. And what makes it brilliant, I'm going to blow your mind with this. Okay. You can you can obviously play four player, which was which is huge, right? You could do it right. on the PS one. You just have to get the multi tap, right? right? Which was kind of convoluted. It was on the PS two as well. You know, you have to plug it in, plug it in player two, and then everyone has to plug in there, and player one has to go in player one slot. And it's kind of weird. Memory cards, well, where do they go? I don't know. So <laughs> on the sixty four, you have the four controller ports, right? Boom, you're set right. up, ready to go. Ease of access. So four player is great, but here's the kicker. And no one's ever talked about this. Someday I want to, I've been meaning to make a video, uh, maybe the last 10 years of my life, I've been saying I'm going to make a video. I haven't done it yet. Micro Machines 64 um, Turbo, you can play what they call pad share. And it takes the four player experience and doubles it. What? You can play two players per one controller on that game. Oh my gosh. That's you turn the controllers <laughs> sideways. Do I, I have a controller here? I want it here. You can't see it, obviously, but I want to show everyone watching. All right, so here we are. A little dusty, my bad. So here it is. You have the controller, right? You turn it sideways. I'll explain it to you, and you can just visualize it, Cameron. You turn it okay. sideways, and one player holds it like this with the controller completely sideways. So the up and down D pad or the up and down on the D pad now becomes left and right for your two thumbs. And then the other person, which they'll be sitting right across from you is holding it sideways like this. And the up and down C buttons now become left and right for steering. So you have two people holding on one controller across from each other. And in pad share, the gameplay is basically when green light says go it's full throttle. You have no control over throttle. It's just full blast. And you all just go crazy and race. That sounds an, amazing. An eight-player multiplayer madness. I've done it once before. It's an absolute chaotic blast. One of the greatest oh, experiences. Bet. Yep. You just got to get eight friends together, and you guys are going to just freak out. So pick that game up just alone for that. No, I don't know any other game that does that. I mean... You could say like Mario Kart Double Dash on GameCube, but you need to land adapters. You can land those up and do 16 players. Hmm. But local, I know no other console that will allow you to do eight player local on the same screen type thing. That Micro Machines is built for that, dude. It's built for that. That's so, really cool. And I don't think V3 on PS1 does that. So anyway, I'm sorry about... I went to a N64 side tangent, but you all gamers, no. you, you all appreciate that. You probably want to check that out too. We, we, we got to go where we got to go. So, yeah, we, no, <laughs> we do. Hey, man, wherever the station wagon's turning, we're going. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, another genre to bring up to talk about, because this is a lot of really, really great games. Super overlooked. I, and I think even back in the day, when this genre was in the arcades originally, it was, it was birthed in the arcades. On home consoles, not everyone really invested, I think, into this because it required some extra 
investment on your part in the form of light guns. Yep, I'm talking about light gun shooters, light gun games. The PlayStation 1 had not a massive list, but a healthy list of great light gun shooters. And I want to talk about a few of them here. And I know, Cameron, you have some stuff to talk about as well. I know you like uh, light gun shooters as well, but a few that stand out in my mind. Obviously, Midway's Area 51, or was it, it was Atari at the time, I think, Atari Area 51. That's a great, great early 90s light gun shooter. Same thing with Maximum Force. That's another fantastic uh, light gun shooter. Crypt Killer is on that console. We talked about Die Hard Trilogy. There's a Virtual Cop style light gun game in there. Amazing. There's also Gunfighter, The Legend of Jesse James. It's a Western shooter. Uh, actually, do I... Hold on. I've never um, even heard of that one. Yeah, it's... I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm not organized. We're, we're packing and moving. All the stuff's everywhere. But yeah, check that one out too. That's uh, that's a great Western light gun shooter that, that, yeah, again, not a lot of people heard about. Would definitely say it would be a, a hidden gem. Uh, Lethal Enforcers is on this console as well, which I, I played in the arcade a ton. I loved it. It's nice to have it uh, on the PlayStation. And then the, pretty much the big one, and I, well, there's two really, really big ones. Um, one is Time Crisis. Mm-hmm. I mean, the original Time Crisis, and there's also Time Crisis Project Titan, which is another great one in the franchise. Uh, no, they're not arcade perfect, but seriously, for what you get, there's no, I mean, there's no other experience. You don't get that experience of playing Time Crisis on any other console like that. It wasn't until PS2 comes out that we get others, of course, and that's a whole other episode. But right. playing the first Time Crisis on PS1, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I know, Cameron, we both are very much in sync with this, but I know you love Light on Shooters too. Oh, I do. Um, yeah, the uh, Time Crisis, both those are great. Um, and it, I think you can't have a great game without a great uh light gun which of course the gun con is uh is just a great light gun um i saw of course i saw my crt downstairs and that's i have my my uh you know like maybe two or three gun cons just hanging out i mean you can't you know connect more than more than two but uh you know i kind of collect those uh the big box versions of time crisis i have i got both those um and you, this is actually also a hidden gem, and I, I know you've, you've mentioned this, or you you will, but the, the point blank light gun games. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I think uh, I think the problem with those, they didn't. I don't think they sold very well because it was more of a Japanese sort of thing. You know, they're weird, almost like kind of like mini party games, um, which didn't really come into their own till later on. But uh, those are excellent games. And then I'm holding one in my hand called uh, it's a. A working designs uh, published game, which I know people collect just those working designs games in general. But uh, it is Elemental Gear Bolt. It's like an oh, dude, yeah. It's almost like an kind of almost like an RPG ish with cutscenes, but it's like a light gun game, and it's very difficult, uh, but really fun. It's also very expensive, right and, now, <laughs> and very expensive right now. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of those like if you buy if you buy the game. Um, you're getting something for it because it has a, you know, of course it's got that working designs like uh, cover, which is like kind of metallic, uh, you know, go- with gold writing on the back and this beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful big old instruction booklet and just great artwork, great production value. But yeah, that, yeah. that's when you should, if you have an extra, what, like 150, 200 bucks that is absolutely burning a hole in your pocket, give it a shot. 
Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, highly recommend it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, great call. Great call. Uh, again, you got to have a CRT TV. You've mm-hmm. got to have the, the, the gun cons. You, you know, it requires an investment and it requires a dedicated space. We know, we know. But I have to tell you, it is worth it. It is so worth it. There's, there's honestly no better experience playing these light gun games at home on the CRT and just, dude, it's just like, like you're really in the arcades mm-hmm. and yeah, I love them. Absolutely love them. So those are just some genres that we touched on. I know we went deep in there, but I think it's good to talk about this stuff because we want to just break the knowledge out there and maybe shed some light on some games that you may not have heard of, or maybe you, you know of, and maybe should go and revisit. That's what this is all about. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, you know, I'm not sure how many games we got in the U.S., but you said there's, I think there's 7,000. Is that right? Like for all regions, I think. Is that right. correct? That is right correct, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we still got a ton of games. And I'm even, you know, I'm actively collecting, which is probably not a financially smart decision. But um, we'll get into that. But uh, I still find, see games like, oh, I've never heard of that game. Never heard of that game. Because we just got so many so many games and... You know, it's just, uh, it's just, we're, we're gushing about the console, but yeah, it's, there's a reason why we're doing that. For sure. That's the nice thing about it too, is that you'll go out and even at a game store that, you know, has all the commons and some uncommons mm-hmm. and stuff like that, you'll, you'll just thumb through them and you'll see something that you've never seen before. Right. That's how many games they have. And it's wonderful to just be like, oh, I'll try it. I'll roll the dice. I'll give it a shot. And I think later in the episode, I actually have... I have a game that I want to talk about where I did that and I paid, I don't know, a few bucks for it or something. And it ended up being one of the greatest games that I've, I've played on the console. It's later on in the show. So, you know, you never know. That's why I like to collect some of the, what I, you know, coin term, the shovelware stuff is shovelware before shovelware. Um, you just never really know what you're getting into. So, you know, take a risk. If it's a few bucks, yeah. you know, I don't know. You, you may, you may hit a, a winner there. Absolutely. Um, Next on the list here to talking about is now we've talked about the different genres of these games. We've talked about some things that stand out. And I think that's, those are almost like honorable mentions because <laughs> I have this next section where we're really just talking about some of the hidden gems, some of the games that really stand out that we feel should be played. In my opinion, I think they're kind of must have games. If, if somebody came up to me and said, Jason, what, what games should I purchase on PS1? What should I get? What would round out my collection? Any of the games that we just spoke about, you should definitely take a look at and get. You won't be disappointed. But I have a few on here that I would recommend uh, personally. They're some of my favorites. And, oh, Cameron, you can talk about some that you have as well. Um, I'm looking at your list, and we're, we're overlapping a little bit. So that's really cool. <laughs> you know, yeah, like you, well, that's good. your list... Or ones I actually have sitting out to to, to comment on. So yeah. well, what's what's nice is that you know we're we are very much similar as far as our tastes and things of games that we like. So that that definitely works out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say Jumping Flash one and or two. Definitely, if you can get a hold of the first one, you should. The two is much more of an experience, but it's kind of kind of the same sort of thing, just rehashed. But either one, it's a Sony produced first-person shooter where you play the role of a, a rabbit, a mechanical rabbit. I know what you're thinking. No, it's a great game. I'm, I'm laughing because when I hear it described, it sounds ridiculous, but it's a, a brilliant game. <laughs> it does sound weird, I know. But it, yeah, and you're right, Cameron. It, it is fantastic. It plays really well. The graphics are crisp and clean. 
you have a double jump, which lets you just almost travel anywhere in the map, which mm. is so satisfying. Um, it's not super difficult, but it does have some puzzling challenges to it. Music is on point. It's just a brilliant, brilliant game all the way around. It's actually here. I, I pulled out some of these so I can show. This is what it looks like here. Jumping flash in the old big box. I know you can't really see. It's out of focus, but yeah, that's it right there. Give that a shot. Very, very fun right there. And um, it's it's super unique. Like I don't think I've played a game like it since. And it it's very uh when you go back to playing it, it's still really fun and it, the graphics are still appealing. You know, it's even if it was one of the earlier games, I want to say. Is that yeah, right? Like, I agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember playing but this it's, close to launch. So but it's like so well well done. And I remember I remember seeing that like uh when it when you know looking at like Game Pro and Electronic Gaming Monthly, um just kind of oogling at the uh, the graphics of that game. And they still look good today, to me at least. Yeah, I agree. It's so colorful too, which really helps. Mm -hmm. And I think I think the the map design is really unique. And just, it's fun to walk around in a, in a 3D world. You know, this was early, early 3D. Uh, I mean, a first person shooter 3D, like, yeah, man, this is great. It's a great, great game. I think, I think everyone will really like it. Um. Another game I want to mention real quick is a game called In the Hunt. It's a mm -hmm. it's a side scrolling uh, submarine shooter. Basically, if you were going to take kind of like Metal Slug style and just put it underwater, that's kind of what you're going to get. A very very I good game. I want to say the same people that you mentioned Metal Slug. I think the same people made that game, or at least did the art for it. Um, that would which make is sense. Why it looks, it looks, it like, looks it. so. It's like so beautiful, like hand-drawn sprites. Um, and it's just, uh, it's of course, it's an expensive game now, but uh, it is such a fun game. Not easy. It gets, it gets crazy, but just, I find myself just like looking at the art in the game and getting killed and being okay with it. Just because it's such a great looking game. <laughs> and being okay with it. <laughs> right. You know, it is. It's gorgeous. It's really, really gorgeous. Um, what was I going to say about it? Uh, the 2014... Real quick story. 2014, we were at uh, Portland Retro Gaming Expo in Portland, Oregon. And I was hanging out, Pete, Dor, and myself. We were cruising around. We were jumping around, going game hopping. This was on like, this was like a morning before we went into the show. It was like Saturday morning or something. And there was this game, there was this bookstore or comic store. It was a comic store. And we walked in and um, Pete was like, let's go check out the comic store. You know, it was like on the way. We're like, yeah, cool. So we, we stopped in, we went in there. And they have comics and books and media. You know, it's one of those stores where it's kind of got everything in there. And they had a cabinet in the back and they had um, a bunch of PS1 big box games. They had some Saturn games in there. There's some Genesis and they had a few like NES, Super Nintendo games back in there. Well, we're walking around and Pete's looking in and just Pete goes, he just like snapped his fingers and he's like, oh, I got to get that right there. And I was like, what, what is it? And I had never heard of this game prior to that. And he's just like in the hunt. He's like, that is a really, really great game. And I think at the time it was like 40 bucks. This was in 2014. So it, that was a premium then. Mm -hmm. You know, that was not like a $10 game, right? That was kind of like, wait, who's collecting PS1, you know, big box stuff? Not a lot of people at that time. And it was still a $40 right. game. And he picked it up. And I remember him saying, we got to play this. And, and we did. And it was really, really great. So a cool story about that for sure. And it's one of the, again, I never heard of it. You know, a lot of people I talk to have never heard of it. It's just a hidden gem for sure. You got to check Absolutely. it out. 
Um, another one that stands out for me is a game called Starblade Alpha. Uh, this is something that not a lot of people know about. It's a Namco-produced on-rails shooter, like space shooter. Kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of like Star Wars Arcade, if you ever played Star Wars Arcade, but it's a flat-shaded polygon on-rails shooter, and it's brilliant. You own this game? I do, yeah. Because it is not cheap now, because no. I wish I had it. <laughs> I wish I had this game. But I don't. Uh, yeah, I bet. I bet. I mean, this is one of those games where it's uh, it, it's such a great experience, but a lot of people aren't collecting like light gun and, and rail shooters at that time. It was kind of like, oh, it's just kind of a cheap little dumb game. But dude, right. no, man, these these early like Namco stuff, like um, what's the other Namco ones that are really, really popular that people are now collecting for? The uh, What's the mech one? Um, um, shit, I can't think of it. For, is it for PS, PS1? They had it for PS1. I think it was only in Japan, though. It was in the arcades here. We had it out west. It's not Mech Warrior. Um, um, it was like Cyber Cyber Sled, but not Cyber Sled. It was um, shit. I can't oh 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 oh. Wait a second. Um, is it kind of like a fighting game? Yes, yes, it's a fighting game. And I think they uh, re-released it on 360. Like they did a port of it on the arcade, Xbox 360 arcade. I can't remember it. I'm freaking out. Hopefully, somebody out there is yelling at their speakers. <laughs> I'm my uh, my subconscious is yelling. I just can't hear it. Yeah, yeah. But there's another one. It was a great Namco. Was it, uh, it virtual was, on? Thank you, virtual on. Yes, that's another ah. great one. Virtual on, and uh, man, those are those are highly collectible. You know, mm-hmm. and and again, it's just like, dude, those are great, great Namco. And so I think stuff like that, where we come back around and we're like, oh, this is this is really fun and really great. Controls are nice and space shooter. It's great. So it's Starblade unique. Alpha, yeah, very unique. Um, check that one out too. Another one, Tempest X three. The fast-paced Tempest experience, kind of like set in the future in space. Like, dude, the sound design is incredible. The gameplay is really, really great. A lot of people may not think about, you know, Tempest being outside of the original Tempest, but this is 100% a hidden gem. You got to check out Tempest. Um, I remember, again, another one from Pete. Pete told me to check this out a long time ago, and I, I found it out in the wild for like, I think it was like eight bucks. Yeah, I don't, I I don't think this. it's too expensive, but it's it's a good game. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, another one I have on my list here is a game called Disruptor. It's a first-person shooter, kind of a mech first-person shooter. It's uh, yeah. done by Insomniac, in fact. Kind of like a corridor FPS shooter. Great controls, great graphics, great sound. The gameplay is really, really good. Um, featuring a lot of like exploration, but the controls are really good, and it plays nice. It's hard to get good first-person shooters on these consoles, right? This technology is, right. you know, you push it to its limits. I mean, we've we've been living through uh, trying to play Doom on Super Nintendo and, you know, trying to play, I mean, gosh, what else do we play? 3DO, we tried to play some shooters. Uh, Wolfenstein. and uh, Yeah, Wolfenstein and a PO'd and a bunch of others. And it just didn't really go over that well, you know? So right. um, we're weary of it, but definitely give Disruptor a shot. It's incredible. It's really. I, I need fantastic. to try that. I've, I've yeah. heard of it, but I didn't know what it was until you you just talked about it. Definitely. Yeah, it's done by Insomniac. I mean, they they did a really great job with it. Check it out. Um, this one going back to what you were saying earlier, Cameron, about um, you know, taking a risk and buying a game and and you know it being good. This is one 
that I bought super cheap, just randomly. I just saw the cover and I thought, oh, this looks kind of cool. I'll buy it. And I don't know, it was like three bucks or something crazy, but it's called Future Cop LAPD. And what I didn't know is that it's done by Redwood Shores and it was published by EA. So it was in that ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And it's a third person mech shooter. When you kind of have this, but it's like, it's a third person mech shooter, but it has the camera angle up higher, sort of like how loaded it is. It's back a mm-hmm. little bit up higher, which is nice. So it gives you a nice, you know, viewing angle, a nice field of view to, to play in there. But you pilot this police mech, which can transform into a car, in fact. So it can be a mech, it can be a car. You can actually even play this in two player, which is a lot of fun. And it kind of resembles like the early Desert Strike, Jungle Strike games from EA. You remember playing those? Oh, okay. oh yeah, on Genesis. Yeah, yeah, they're great. Um, this is majorly overlooked. And honestly, it's, it's a really, really fun game. Make sure to save often uh, because I think, I think you, oh, you have to get your checkpoint. That's what it is. You have to get to a checkpoint. Uh-oh. And it can be brutal. If you die and don't get to a checkpoint or go the wrong way, it's one of those games where it kind of like resets to the beginning and it's very deflating. <laughs> I hate games like that where you're like, oh my oh, God. I, I just spent a half hour trying to figure out where to go. I and died and I have to do that all over again. Very deflating. Right. But you definitely want to check out that game for sure. Future Cop LAPD. Give that a whirl. Okay. You talked about speed punks. I didn't put that on my list. What a great, brilliant game. I know you mentioned that too, because I want to bring up this game, which was produced by the same people who made Gran Turismo. You're like, wait, what? And it's kind of like a little funny cartoon kart racer. Wait, what? <laughs> what? What? It's called Motor Tune Grand Prix. This is the game I have been talking about for many, many years, even dating back to 2010, 2011, all-gen gamers days. I've been trying to shed the light on this. Should look it up. I don't know how much it is now, but it it wasn't expensive back in the day. No one really knew about it. Same team who did Gran Turismo. It's a colorful cartoon racer, great visuals, wonderful drifting mechanic, and the controls are very tight, and it has proper camera angles too. It's got like four camera angles. You can get real close, or you can do like helicopter, which I prefer. I love that. But it's really, really fun, quirky. All of the characters have their own unique cart or, or car personality, voiceovers, style. It's fun. It has power-ups. It's just a brilliant game. It runs silky smooth. It's really a great racing game on the PS1. So go look up gameplay. Check that one out. You definitely won't be disappointed. This is That's one on my list. That, uh, I actually I ended up buying, and then one of those things on eBay, it was in way worse condition. Um, so then I had to return it, and I haven't got one since. But yeah, this, that's on my radar. Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's great. And then finally, you already mentioned this point blank. Yeah, th- these are great, great light gun shooters. And and I put them on the list of hidden gems that I think people should check out is because, like you said, it was more of a Japanese... Um, it was popular more in the Japanese market. I think... I don't think people really understood it or they didn't really... It didn't come out here or people... I, you know what I mean? It just it didn't do very well over here. Didn't right. do really well in the sales. But my goodness. Yeah, I, I think these games... I want to say, I honestly feel like these are a great like on party game because they have mini games and it's great two player. And it's like police trainer. I mentioned it on, on my notes here. I put police trainer. If you've ever played that in the arcades, 
it's like mini games where like target practice and stuff. It's it's like that on on steroids, man. It's just it's super super fun. I love Point Blank. And wasn't there like three of them? I think there was three. Yeah. Yes. There. There's all. There's three. I have a, a and they came out with. A, I know at least Point Blank three came out with like one of the big box. This bundle with the gun con. Um, I have that, but uh, I have the, I'm gonna, the first. I'm gonna want to see that. I I've never seen that in the big box. So you're gonna have to like text me a photo or show it to me. I want to see that. Okay. Yeah, I will. Absolutely. Those, yeah, I, I agree. I concur. Those are, those are like some of my favorite light gun games. Cause they're kind of lighthearted. Um, and they do, they do different things. Like, I mean, you think about it, it's like, well, so a lot of the, like one of the light gun games can get a little, not boring, but it's like, I'm just shooting the same criminals over and over again. But this is sort of like you take target practice and then add different elements to make it weird and interesting. And it's just, they're very addicting and very, very simple, very easy to get into, um, right. and they're not, they're not super expensive, so highly recommended. Yeah, pick up and play. And you know what I think? You know what I think? What it is? I just as you were saying all this, I was mm-hmm. processing why I think that is. In normal light gun games, you're you know obviously you're trying to beat the level. You're not you're trying not to take damage. You're trying to like navigate the level and do this sort of thing. With point blank, it's really based solely on skill based. Right. So it's like accuracy, speed, and skill. And yeah, the other Lycan games are that as well. They all feature that, but in point blank, it's only that. Like you're right. not you're not taking damage or having to like in time crisis like duck, you know, ready and then pop out, pop, 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 go back down, pop back out. And you know what I mean? Like it's different. It's a different experience. So I think right. lighthearted, you said it best, it's lighthearted and it's uh, casual, kind of a casual experience skill-based yeah it's more about getting a, a high score like you said skill-based so you're trying to um it, it'd be great for two-player you know you can play against your friend and see who, who does the best um, love it love it uh those, if it, those uh, are those are games we're gonna have to play when we get together at some point we're gonna have to just light gun it up dude oh yeah i'll bring i'll bring my my gun con with me yes <laughs> <laughs> um i may if it's okay with you i got a few oh please uh, do yes I'll, let's hear them I'll, i won't be too long um but uh, the funny thing is, as I'm looking at the games now, these are all hidden gems, but they're all kind of expensive now, which is just the, the state of things. But I'll start out from the least expensive. Um, I mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again because it's not too expensive. Uh, Legacy of Cain, Blood Omen, um, like a Diablo kind of game. Really fun. You're essentially a vampire, and you get to suck people's blood. So, you know, what's what's uh, there not to like about that? Um there's a game called Philosoma. Have you heard of that? It's a, it's like a uh, big box game. It's, it's I have it, actually. Um, is the the title of it in green, like really thin yes. letters? Yeah, you you can probably yeah. It's kind of like uh, you can I'm sure visualize it, but yeah, uh, I see it on my shelf in my head. Yeah, it's a like it's a shooter. It's like you know side scrolling shooter like kind of like R type or um, Thunder Force those type of games. But um, what's cool is they combine that, some cutscenes, and they combine, um, like, you know, voice, like, a, you know, actual, like, audio people talking to you. And they'll go between uh, that side. It's side-scrolling. I think it's kind of sprite, kind of 3D combination, maybe some pre-rendered stuff. And then it'll go to, like, uh, in front of the ship and then behind, depending on where, you're, where the enemy ships are. Oh, so Interesting. It's very unique. I don't think I've played a game quite like it since. Um, let's see. Uh, 
And then there's a game called uh, in that same genre called Einhand, Einhander, Einhander. Um, it's a Square Shot produced shooter. It's uh, all 3D polygons, maybe some uh, pre-rendered stuff in there. It's gotten real expensive lately, but it's it's like just like SquareSoft. Um, whatever they do, it's pretty pretty good. So they just tried their hand, pun intended. Oh at, dear! Uh, oh dear! At a uh, shooter, so um, our shmup. I guess we kind of you know first-person shooters. I, I'm. It can. It's easy to kind of get mixed up in the vernacular, but uh, but yeah, it's a it's like a shmup uh, shooter. So um, that's a great one. Um. So going back to the horror games, which I'm afraid to play, but I have them anyway. Uh, <laughs> nice. There's a the Clock Tower series. Oh uh, yeah, Clock Tower. I forgot about that one. Yeah. I wouldn't say they're good games, to be honest. And now they're like ridiculously expensive. Uh, I bought them when they were just sort of expensive, um, but they're kind of like they're survival horror. But it's even worse because you're you have no weapons. You're just literally like trying to run away from this guy with his giant pair of scissors. Oh, um, oh, I'm good. I'm good. So this is probably your worst. Uh, yeah, it's my worst nightmare right here. Yeah, your worst nightmare in a game. But those are cool because they're unique. Um, and they actually, what's really cool is like I looked, I opened the the game up uh, when I first got it, and there's an advertisement for the ASCII ASCII. I thought it was just S S C or when I was a kid, but I guess it's pronounced ASCII. Uh, the the publisher, I think, they have their own controller called the Grip which is the ultimate one-handed uh, controller for strategy and RPG, RPG games. So, uh, oh, it's, oh look- I've seen this. I've seen this. It's got a, it's yeah. got a big D pad right on the top for your thumb. Yep. Yep. It's got a, it's got a bunch of face buttons on there. It's like a pistol and, grip almost kind of sort of. Right. And there's like a trigger button on the back. Yeah. It's really, okay. it's actually kind of cool. Um, so there's that game. Uh, I love that shit. I love all that weird yeah. stuff. Yeah, me too. So I, I ended up buying one and it was only like, I don't think I, uh, I got it. It was new in the box, and I don't, I don't think anybody ha- has been looking for them really. So I got it for like under twenty bucks with shipping. Um, so get yourself an ASCII grip if if the uh, you know if you want. I don't know. I always thought it was uh, assy. <laughs> <laughs> it may be. It may be. Um, but uh, let's see. I got. I think I got three more. So there's a game called a uh, Ghost in the Shell, based off the anime uh, or the movie or the anime movie. And I'm sure, but uh, it's you you take control of this like uh, I guess it's called a Fuchikoma, but it's like a little tank thing, and you can cut. You, what's neat about it is it's almost like a little spider, and you can like go on buildings on the side. You can you know you can go anywhere you want. Like you can drive on all surfaces, and you're, you just kind of shoot stuff. There's some um, it's 3D. There's some I guess missions and whatever. That's a cool game. It's gotten I hate to say this, it's gotten expensive. Uh, and then my last two, there's a game called, uh, the adventures of Lomax. Have you heard of that one? No, I haven't. I've heard of Loman G. I haven't heard of Lomax. Okay. What's that? So this is oddly enough, an offshoot of the lemmings game, but it, it's a, it's a side scroller adventure game, like Sprite, uh, like hand drawn sprites. Um, so you're, you're taking, you're taking a care or taking, uh, the control of a character in the lemmings world. Which I didn't know was a an actual you know I didn't know it had had lore to it or anything but I guess but it's a beautifully it's kind of like it looks like Rayman it's basically like Lemmings version of Rayman is the best way I can describe it oh cool um, really interesting and finally, I've never heard of it I'll have to check that out you should you should um, my last hidden gem which is probably not so hidden anymore 
uh, and I know Pete Doerr is a big fan, is Klonoa, which oh, yeah. uh, I purchased initially a long time ago for dirt cheap, sold it, and I bought it at almost the height of its price because I just had to play it again. And I'm actually, the crazy thing is, since I've purchased it, it's gone. I, I, I paid a lot of money for it, um, probably the most I've ever, ever spent on a game. It's now at least $200 more than what I paid for it, and this was maybe a month ago already. Wow. Wow. Which is insane. So so those are my hidden gems. Um, like I said, the most affordable, if you're looking to get something that's not going to break the bank, just pick up Legacy of Cain, Blood Omen. I, I'd even maybe even say Speed Punks is a kind of a hidden gem because I don't hear that talked about as much. No one talks so, about it. No yeah. one talks about it. And it was called, it's called Speed Punks here out West, but it's called speed devils no 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 that's a that's a motorcycle game what's it called it's called something in europe huh shoot it's called something different so when people speed look Diablo. it up i'm not sure that's a good question <laughs> yeah i have no idea well you'll look it up you'll be able to see it's a great great kart racer you'll love it um moving on from all of these uh, hopefully we haven't uh broke the bank for you guys just yet but uh and speaking about that and breaking the bank and collecting and things being expensive, we're going to kind of just shift gears and go into this collecting side of things where we're going to, I made a few notes here and Cameron and I are going to bounce back and forth. We want to talk about the current state of collecting for PlayStation. We want to talk about collecting kind of in general. Um, we're going to talk about the recent market retro market boom that's happened the last year um, due to the pandemic. Um, I have some data, some stats that will kind of solidify what's happening and what has happened. But then we're going to wrap it up with things that you can do. These are just some tips that that we're going to give you that you can still do today um, to to better help with your collecting journey. I I don't want this to come off like you know all is lost. It's different today, mm-hmm. um, and not all is lost. But there are things you can do to try to get a good deal on on games some tips and tricks you can do for hunting and looking and finding and some some tips there so well that's kind of the the breakdown of the next section we're going to talk about here so hopefully it's helpful um so i kind of broke this down into two parts um to try to help out so ps1 collecting but also collecting in general these are just some of my thoughts about it the prime collecting years uh, for the PS1 specifically, uh, was about 15 or so years ago, somewhere in that 2005-ish, and not necessarily just for PS1, but I think this is this is a good tip to to listen to and learn from collecting in general for games or consoles. What you typically want to do is you want to buy, you want to buy last gen stuff when the new gen replacement consoles are released, and this kind of makes sense, right? So when the when the Xbox 360 came out that was a really good time to buy for OG original Xbox right it kind of makes sense this right. is tip, this is typically what happens when the new next gen consoles come out everyone's offloading their current gen stuff to help pad the cost uh, of buying the next gen Right, so they're like, take my console, take all my games. I'm going to trade them in. I'm going to get rid of them. I'm going to sell them. I'm going to do whatever with them. Get rid of them so they can get some money to buy next gen. Now, this is only this only applies to people who aren't 
collectors and people who don't care about collecting all that sort of thing because they'll just offload it. And typically they offload it for pennies on the dollar because they don't really care. If they take it into to game schlop and they say like, hey, here's my 360. Here's all my games. I got 50 games. I got three controllers. I've got everything all together. It works. And they say, look, we'll give you 200 bucks for all of this and you can put it towards your next consoles. So all you have to pay out of pocket is like, you know, whatever the remaining difference is. Most people and or parents, moms and dads would be like, yeah, that sounds great. Get rid of this crap. We don't care, right? So what that does, and I'm talking more or less, this is more like in a retail setting. What that does is it increases inventory. So now we have stores, we have retail stores, mom and pop stores, local game stores that have an influx of inventory. Now, what does this do for that? Well, one, the inventory is now there. So we can kind of, in a way, have our pick of the litter of what we want to get for that console. Maybe we're late adopters. This is also a really great time for late adopters. I know it's hard. I did this with PSP specifically. I'm speaking, this is 100% from experience, and I've been doing this since the early 90s. So I'm telling you, I've been doing this. This is This absolutely works. I didn't buy the PSP when it came out. Well, I bought it when it became discontinued and people were offloading stuff. I... PSP I cleaned up on. It's a great time to do it. I also did it kind of with 360 as well, but that's a different story. All right, getting back on track. So what happens is these stores now have the inventory, right? They have tons and tons of games. Well, two things happen. Because the games are still somewhat newer, like within the next, within the last like four or five years newer, the prices may not necessarily have come down yet and they haven't hit rock bottom. So as long as we understand that going in saying, okay, when next gen comes out, the inventory is going to go up. I'm going to go in and start collecting all of the common or less popular and or cheaper games that are going to be cheap no matter what. Do that then. All right. That's a great time to do it. All of the more uncommon, more rare, more sought after games will probably still have a little bit of a premium on them. May not be the right time to buy those at that point. This is just tips of understanding like the timeline here, because there is a timeline for all, mm -hmm. all consoles of, mm -hmm. of collecting if you want to do it right and do it at the cheapest. Next gen came out. Cool. We just went in and bought a whole bunch of common, you know, uh, typical um, you know, games, we've got them fairly cheap. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's part one. Our prices are not at rock bottom just yet. Part two of this, and we have to have patience unless you just want to just go for it. Hey, absolutely have at it. It's, it's your, it's your wallet, right? Go for it. But part two of this situation is typically, and these are just, this is my estimates. This is what I have found throughout the years of doing this. Typically from that point, five years later, about five years later is about the point when it's best to collect for that system. And I'm just saying, I'm just saying Xbox 360 because it's just the first thing that came to my head, but it's the same exact procedure across all these consoles. So cool. We got an Xbox. The 360 came out. I just got all my commons when the Xbox 360 came out. But now here we are five years later and we're starting to hear rumbles of the next Xbox system. Well, people don't give a shit about original Xbox anymore. They really don't. 
they're like, look, (laughs) we're, we're going, we're two consoles away from that. We honestly, if this stuff is here, take it to goodwill. That's exactly what happens. And I've filmed 37 odd thrifting episodes on the YouTube channel showing this specifically of coming across all these games in bundles. I got one episode, Stephanie and I went out, we found, I don't know what, 50 or 60 PS1 games, all incredible games that were just offloaded. Chocobo Racing, I found so many, uh, there were RPGs, I bought like all the Tenchu games. Dude, they were like five bucks a pop, all of them just across the board. We bought the whole lot. It's on on YouTube. You can watch that episode. It's hilarious. It's great. We were very, very lucky. But that was back in 2014, maybe, you know, at the, at the, you know, very late tail end, the timeline lines up, it matches up in 2014, 2013, people weren't collecting PS1. They weren't collecting PS1. We went to a store, we went to our local place here, Bookman's, they used to have an entire shelf full of PS1 games, all super dirt cheap. Uh, We would go in there and I would just buy games all the time. I spent 50 bucks and get like 30 games. I loved it. We went in one day, they pulled them off the shelf and put them in back, not even for sale anymore. Because really? they were they were not selling. No one was buying them. <laughs> That's incredible. I asked the dude, I go, where are all the PS1 games? He goes, dude, we're not selling any of them. We need the we need the shelf space. So we put them all in the back. I go, can I look? No, I can't look through them. Okay. They oh. literally went in the back for like three or four years. And then we went back one day, like 2016, 2017. They all were back out because they started to go up. The right. prices were starting to rise. People were asking about them. See, the timeline, it matches up. So now, and now they're all crazy expensive, but at the time there was, there was nothing there. So that, so that's part two, about five years after that initial, that's when you really want to start getting uh, and purchasing those games because they're going to be forgotten about. They're going to be on the shelf too long. They're going to be taking up valuable retail space and they're going to be at the end of their retail life per se in the used market. So I hope that I tried to break it down and be as thorough and clear as I could on that. I know it's the timeline can kind of be confusing, but this lines up with all, all consoles, all handhelds. I've talked about this on all gen gamers, even back in the day on GBA. I remember specifically saying in 2010, 2011, I don't remember what episode, but I, I went out and I said, folks, if you want to collect Game Boy Advance, buy right now. Buy right now. This is 2011. They were completely offloading it. I remember at Portland Retro Gaming Expo, there's a picture. We have a picture. I, I, have, I remember I see it because we cycle it on our Google Home, uh, the slideshow, the pictures in the kitchen. There's a picture of me sitting there, and I had hair back then too, where I was sitting there with a tub, this big plastic tub with maybe five, 600 Game Boy Advance games in it. I'm just rummaging through it. They literally had this on the floor under a shelf. Just loose games and good loose games too. I mean, Donkey Kong Country, uh, Iridian 3D, like all these amazing, um, all the, like the Gran Turismo racing games, GT games, like I just cleaned up and they were just dirt cheap, cheap, right? They were, yeah. The little tag, they were like, it's like, it was like five for a dollar or like, you know, five or like 10 for 15 or, you know what I mean? Like you just pick whatever, but now they're all behind glass cabinets. They've got, premiums like it's too late it's almost yeah. too late for game boy advance right now you know but there was a time and it will come back mm-hmm. around the end of the story to this is that sometimes not every time but i do feel that it comes back around 
and the prices do kind of drop a little bit, but once it hits that threshold, man, you're kind of like SOL in a way. So anyway, I just totally rambled there, but I I hope that was kind of helpful to see. Um, It may not help your PS1 collecting right now. That's just kind of a scenario um, on what I, what I feel like it's a good mindset to get into if you're collecting and you want to do it the right way, you kind of have to be up on the schedule. That's the number one thing is schedule, schedule, schedule. Yes. Uh, that, I think that all that sounds completely uh, kind of how I've, I've seen things happen. If only I'd, I'd known this information and, and this had been on my radar way back then, I would have been in much better shape <laughs> with games, you know? Yeah, it's true. It's true. And, and the thing is, is like, <sighs> Yeah. You you don't really know about it though until unless you're in it. You know what I mean? Unless you're really, really in it and actively doing it. And it's right. like yeah. And the market's a very interesting place for sure. Yes. And speaking of the market. <laughs> yes. As uh we've discussed and uh I've noticed and I know you've noticed and you have some great data, but um uh and I think uh, I have a good friend of mine who owns a retro game store where I'm from originally in North Carolina. And uh, he's had it in business for almost 10 years now. He said that uh, if he could do it all over again, he would not have sold anything until right now. He would have just saved everything because that's how crazy the market is right now for, for retro games or, or I think any collectible really, but um, but retro games is what what's affecting me and, and you and a lot of you guys out there as well. So it's a crazy time. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And you brought this up, you brought this up, uh, well, gosh, it was even back a year ago when I had you on the show originally, we were talking about it. And then we, in your voicemails, you've said like, hey, have you checked the prices for games? And and like, no, I hadn't really, I hadn't looked until you brought it up to me and I went and I did some research and sure enough, like we, we have seen, we have seen more growth in the last year from March to March. 2020 to 2021 than we have seen in the last whatever it is like six years like it has grown exponentially mm-hmm. in yeah, the retro it's, scene it's insane it is um and my timeline is uh like i had and I, of course i had talked about this before um and on probably the last time i was on the show um in 20 like I've been a gamer my whole life, essentially. So, you know, but I've been a collector on and off, and I've go through I go through phases where I'm like, I want the physical thing, and I'm like, you know what? Uh, I don't need all this stuff. I, I used to move a lot, you know. I don't, I don't feel like dealing with it. I'm gonna get an EverDrive. So I ended up selling all my Genesis games, and uh, it was one of my big life regrets. It's, well, I mean, as far as like this type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think about maybe you're maybe two years ago i was actively rebuying all my sega genesis games and then i was like i want them in the box and uh at the tail end of that um like i pretty much got everything i for most you know want for the most part and uh a little bit of saturn sega i think sega cd sega genesis once once the you know we get into the sort of pandemic once that started hitting and the stimulus payments, et cetera. Um, I just noticed all of these games that I'd kind of casually look at Sega Genesis and stuff like games had doubled in price. Like w- what's going on? I'm glad I, you know, got, uh, got all this stuff at the time. Um, you know, of course I wish I'd gotten, I hadn't sold it 10 years prior, but you know, you, it's just one of those things. It's like with the market of, of stock or anything, you, 
you kind of get in when you can. And then, you know, as long as you're not at the height. Um, and then I noticed, uh, after our, I think our third run, round of stimulus checks, when I've gotten really got into PS one, this is probably the worst time to buy anything rare on the PS one, because, uh, things have gotten absolutely crazy. And like I mentioned before, like a game, I thought I spent like, I thought I got a decent deal. It's already increased as far as what people are actually paying for it. Completed listings, $200 more than I paid, paid a month ago. So we're, this is like uncharted territory from my experience. Um, and I'm we've, sure yours too. Yeah, I agree. We've never seen anything like this ever in the history like of, of collecting or, or retro right. gaming at all. It hasn't existed. It's just, this has never happened. And this is kind of why we're like, we're talking about it. We're bringing it up because you're right. Uncharted waters is really a great way to put it. It's something is happening right now that we've never seen. And it's, I don't really know where it's going to go, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I have a theory of what's going to happen, but we can kind of get into that. Um, right. Yeah. I made a few notes about like, you know, what, what we think is going to happen, but right. why, why don't you go first? Why don't you tell us what you think? Okay. Happen? So, um, I, this is what I think is going to happen. So, this is kind of like the perfect storm. And this happened with, uh, I'm also, you know, like you, I'm a musician too. And I used to collect these specific type of pedals called boss pedals. You know, they're like, um, you know, effect pedals for guitarists, bassists, whatever. But, um, I, I kind of stopped collecting about six years ago. Um, and, uh, that market has gone absolutely crazy too. And I think what it is and the, actually I, I work in the guitar and guitar manufacturing industry. Um, you know, once the pandemic happened, we were, everybody was at home, like the whole, essentially the whole world was, was quarantined for a period of time. And I was quarantined for about six to eight weeks. I can't remember exactly, but, um, they didn't know what was going to happen. They were like, well, we're not going to make guitars. Well, first of all, we can't, you know, obviously because we're on lockdown, but when we came back, they didn't know how many guitars they were going to make a day because they didn't know what the market would support. They start, we you know started out baking thirty guitars a day, and then they kept going up because the orders kept coming in, and they're like, "What is going on with this?" Um, so I think it's the perfect storm of people have a went from you know regular lives to tons of free time, um, you know went from financially probably like unsure to f- all this money coming in either with unemployment or unemployment and stimulus payments, or they could just work from home, whatever. Um, and they have all this extra time. So extra money, extra time. And then people might, you know, it's a very emotional time. You know, I mean, it's a, I've, we, I, I've never experienced anything like this in my lifetime. I don't think many people have. Um, it's like uh, people are emotional. They need comfort. They need stuff to do. They need, and then there's the nostalgia thing. I know you mentioned that. Or you, it, so it's kind of like all these things come together, extra money, extra time, need of something to do, need comfort, you know, and then all the hobbies exploded, you know, like guitars, like, oh, I love learning guitar. Well, now I have all this time to play guitar and I got extra money. Games, man, wouldn't it be great to get the dust off the old PlayStation or the 64 or Super Nintendo? Oh, what about those games I used to have? Let's check them out. So all the games got bought up, bought up, bought up, you know, and uh, people would, there would be, there's you know, it's regularly stuff that just wasn't on anymore, like, no copies of games available. Then it's kind of like name your own price, and people are like, "Well, I got fifteen hundred dollars extra. I don't. I'll pay whatever price it, it is because I have all this extra money." So it was like the perfect storm of of uh, 
of all these circumstances coming together. Um, my theory for what's going to happen is, um, you know, things are, people are getting vaccinated. Things are starting to open back up slowly. Um, the mask mandates are, are being less stringent or, you know, if you've been vaccinated, a lot of places don't, you know, don't require a mask anymore. Normal lives are going to start um, coming back, you know, there'll be more of a normalcy to people's lives, their days, you know, depending on the state. Unemployment isn't, uh, you know, they're not, people are going back to work, in other words. So um, not as much disposable income. So I think we're, we're, we're seeing this height. I think we're going to slowly start to see game prices going down, not across the board, but, uh, you know, I think probably most, because I looked, when I looked at the data before, there was like a big hump after the first stimulus. Then stuff started to kind of go back to normal, and then it was like a huge spike for this last round of stimulus payments. Yeah, um, saw that too, yeah. You know, so I think, and I'm trying to be patient myself, um, but I, you know, this is addicting. I love collecting. It's just in my blood, it's in your blood. But uh, uh, I think if you hold out a little bit, you know, uh, stuff is going to get a little bit cheaper and then hopefully go back to, I don't think it's going to ever go back to like pre-stimulus, uh, pre-pandemic times for a lot of games. Right, I agree, um, yeah. But I think we'll get a little bit cheaper uh, than, than it was. I, I think certain games will never recover to a degree. Like uh, certain consoles, there just wasn't a whole lot of stuff out there. But um you know, stuff won't be cheaper, uh, you know, as, as cheap as it was, in other words. But I think if you're patient, you'll, you'll be rewarded unless you absolutely have to have stuff, in which case, if you have the money, just just do it because you never you never know. You know, I don't want you to say hold off and then it's never it's, it keeps going up. But um, those are probably the outliers. You know, that's just my opinion. I, you nailed it. I don't even need to say anything. You pretty much took the words exactly <laughs> okay. out of my mouth. You're 100% right. And it's not like some far-fetched theory because we actually see it. We, we're we living through it. And the, the data is there. I mean, we're looking at price charting and we're seeing the trends. We're actually seeing the value of these games. And again, like, like you said, and I, I agree with you, I don't think, I think what's going to happen is we're still going to climb until... For a while, it's going to be a gradual, a very gradual decline, right? Because we're because we have still have this gap of people that are you know unemployed or still working from home or you know things like that. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of companies who went to the work from home model and are sticking with it. I know lots of people who the companies basically said to them, "Hey, we're shifting to a work from home indefinitely, so you can work from home from here on out if you want." And that's I it. just noticed I noticed on your. Uh your your notes i i did i i I think i looked at them briefly but i didn't like read everything well you nailed every single your every point i mentioned you had too so we're 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 thinking the same thing it's insane yeah i I was like are you are you reading my notes you should i wasn't reading i promise you're here for reference yeah it's so funny that you that you you had the exact same thoughts i did it's so funny anyway sorry about that no no (laughs) you're right that's exactly it and and again i think we're going to see this gradual decline over the over the next year, maybe, um, where it's just going to slowly start dipping. And the thing mm-hmm. is, is that people are still possibly working from home. Uh, people are still having some time on their hands. So they may hang on to these, these I don't want to call them impulse buy, but in a way, it's kind of an impulse buy, right? They, they're they right. home, they're extra money, they got stimmy money, they're bored, they're working from home, they're like, 
I want to be nostalgic. I want to get this shit and they get it. Right. So, but they may hang on to it for a little while and then maybe a year, maybe two years and be like, all right, well, I'm kind of over it. Like I'm going to sell it. And then right. they're going to be like, well, where do I sell it? Cause I bought it on eBay and they're not, they're not going to sell it on eBay. They don't want to take the time to do that. They don't have the, the resources to do that. They don't care about doing that. They don't want to take the effort to do it, first of all. So they're going to just offload it as a bundle, either on Facebook Marketplace, OfferUp, Craigslist, or they're going to take it to a local mom and pop place, which is great for them because that will stimulate the local economy and, and get mm -hmm. these local stores uh, bumped up a bit with more inventory, which I'm all for always. Oh, so, yeah. I think, so I think that's really great. But again, I'm about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, um, I was calling these people like, you know, it was like a fad. These are like fad gamers. They're like, oh, my friends like the games. So I'm going to, I'm going to buy these games too. Cause it's kind of a cool thing. It's the in thing. It's cool to be, I love Nintendo. I wear a Nintendo shirt. I love Nintendo. Like, you know, like the people never played a game in their life, but they're like, it's kind of a fad, right? That's what mm -hmm. we were seeing back then. We're saying it's look when these, when everyone wants to sell off these games, these fad gamers want to sell stuff off, then we're going to see an influx of it. And we started to see that, you know, or they left for school or college or whatever. And mom and dad and grandma, grandpa, like offloaded it to goodwill. We right. saw that 15, 10 years ago. We saw that say, I think that a similar thing will happen with when I'm kind of coining like the pandemic gamer, right? This is of all these things we just talked about being home and stimulus check and working from home, all that sort of thing, bored, nostalgic, all that. I think we're going to see more inventory shuffle in, not necessarily to Goodwills and secondhand stores, but we're going to see it, I think, in local game stores, which will be good. But again, the prices are not going to reflect the pre-pandemic at all. I don't think we're ever yeah. going to get back them. It's just not going to happen. Right. Just, it yeah, doesn't it's... go that way. It never has. And I mean, I can't really say, I guess it never will. Are we going to see the the crash of video games in 1983 again? No, no, I no. don't think so. That's not happening. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, this is all kind of cyclical. Like the, all this stuff goes, comes and goes in cycles. But right. uh, if I think a, a, you know, this there would have to be some some significant changes in like everyday life and popular culture and uh, you know, like for for people not to want. Like, uh, I think we'll have years and years of absolutely no physical media for, for this stuff to start to really be not desirable by, you know, a lot of people out there. It's going to happen eventually, but it's going to be a long time, I think. But, but who knows? I mean, this, all these relics, um, I mean, I will, I'll, I'll, I'll guarantee you this. I think Game Gear will, will one day be absolutely worthless because there'll be no working Game Gears left, which there, there are so few at the moment. And people aren't going to want to replace capacitors and game gears. Um, that's just right. like a whole different thing. Yeah, you're right. But, uh, right. you know, I, th but I, 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 the, here's the funny thing. And this is just something I, I talk about, but, uh, in 20 years, how many Sega Genesis, Sega Genesis's will be working versus PS fours, probably way more Sega Genesis consoles because the disc drives won't work. So, but you know, the good old cartridge media, you know, new moving parts, it's going to be, that'll outlast. It's like the roach. <laughs> There's going to be a, 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 you can build a, build a whole city out of Sega Genesis model, model twos probably. And, and what's going to happen then? There's going to be another boom. It's going to go back up because it's yeah. going to be, it's going to be supply and demand. Right. And right. how many, how many, it's like, it's like, um, you know, I'm into cars. I like automotive and, and 
and cars and things like that. Same thing happens in the collector car world. How many of how many collector cars every day or a car of that that model that you collect or that you really like or that are desirable were one limited numbers and two being crashed into trees every day, right? So every day that number goes down of how many of those those clean examples exist. Right. That just bumps That's the true. price of that car up more and more every single year. Same exact thing. How many how many Sega Genesis do you think got thrown out today? I know it's morbid and it's tough to think about. It's hard to talk about, but reality is, is there is somebody somewhere taking an entire box of video games and throwing Ugh. it in the dumpster right now. Ugh, that's so depressing. It's hard to hear. And it's true though, because we see it and we know it. And people don't know the value of it and or don't care. They just want to get rid of it, right? Oh, mm -hmm. this has been in the attic for 20 years. He's Moved on. She's moved on. They have a family. They're doing. They don't want their video games. Let's just throw them out. There's, you right. know what I mean. So that just takes that much more out of the ecosystem for collecting, and makes it harder and harder to uh, to come by. And and also another thing that we didn't even talk about, and is this is probably a whole separate subject, another thing. But we have an entire, um, we have the the repro market, and we have the scam market where we're getting games that are fraudulent, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, mm -hmm. and and it's okay to have a repro. I, I, I actually do believe in the repros. I think they're great and a great way to play games and get games. But also it's the shady nature of not disclosing that and selling it to people under the presumption that it's real and authentic and legit. That's where I have the problem, right? It's yeah. so, you know, it's like, you don't know sometimes what you're getting. How many posts do you see online from people questioning it? They're like, hey, um, I'm in lots of, I'm in Portland gamers, I'm in uh, Arizona gamers, I'm in Oregon, like uh, every place I've been, I'm in these, these groups. People post all the time. Um, I just bought this, but I don't know, I feel kind of weird about it. Like, is it legit? People are like, well, open it up and look, and they open it up and it's just like, oh man, you know, yeah. the artwork is off. The box, the the cartridge plastic is wrong. The you know the text is wrong. The board is wrong. Like it's a it's fake. You know, you got scammed. And so, on top of that, we have the authentic stuff. That means it becomes that much more valuable. And right. so we have this really interesting market of stuff. It's honestly, it's it's um, you really have to know what you're looking at and doing in order to collect, or you're going to get scammed as well. Which you know we didn't even really talk about or bring up. It's kind right. of a scary market for that. Yeah, you need to you need to educate yourself as far as like what uh, what you know new new game what games look and feel like, uh, and also do yourself a favor and if you're purchasing cartridge games, get yourself one of those um, like uh, security bits, or whatever. There's a couple sizes that'll pretty much you can use for all your Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis. Uh, game original Game Boy um, games, and you can easily open up with the, these little bits. You can purchase anywhere, or not anywhere, but like on eBay or online, wherever. You can uh, look up a reference for what the game is supposed to look like on the inside, and you can a lot of times online you can just verify that yes, this is the authentic game. So just be educated, and um, that's like a whole other episode. As you for said. sure, and you know, <laughs> and end of story is like if. You can always 
you know, reach out. If you have friends that collect, you can reach out to me. You can hit me up in Discord or whatever. Send me pictures. You know, I'll look at stuff and uh, you can you can ask anyone in our Heine House Discord community. Everyone's very, very knowledgeable and will help you out. Um, we, I just hate seeing people get taken advantage of. That's all it is. I just hate seeing it. Um, yeah. uh, I'm going to talk about some of the... Don't worry, folks. We're going to get to some some sliver of hope on how to collect <laughs> in this world. It's not all doom and gloom, but but like Cameron said, like this is the reality of it. Like We are living through it. We've never seen this before. So it's best to talk about it and be completely open and transparent about it and address it directly because if we all are better understanding of what's happening and the world around us and the collecting uh, landscape, then I think we will all be able to make better decisions when we go into collecting because it's so different today. So I, mm-hmm. I think I, I hope that this episode has been fun to listen to and also helpful in, in some sort of way. Um, but I want to say just, I have some stats here and pulled this from price charting, pricecharting.com. This is the industry standard across the board for finding out values on games. Great website, great resource. Anyone out there with a collection, you should sign up for an account and have it. Uh, they're, they're, they're great. They do, um, basically they look at all the pricing for the games, for consoles, and they go back very, many, many, many years, uh, to, to find averages and then average them out, which is really, really great. Here's some stats I pulled from pricecharting.com. Um, 33%, right, they, did a, they did a study from March 20, uh, March 2020 to March 2021, one year. And the average across the board on all games, just in general, was up 33%. That is absolutely insane. <laughs> insane. That's crazy. And, and if you go look back at this, if you look, and I have this little picture here just to show, it goes back to 2018. If you look at 2018, 2019, 2020, it's, it's like it's holding. It's steady. In fact, it dips a little bit at the end of 2019. The prices just average dip just a hair. So like we are, we are holding steady. And it, that wasn't just 2018. Like if you go back, it's actually lower, right? So it's slowly creeping up, but it's maintaining. So in the last year, it has gone up so much, so, so much. What's interesting is other stats of what I'm about ready to tell you here. Hold on to your seats. Hold on to your hats and glasses. Hold on to your butts. The consoles with the biggest increase in average game value. This is just from March to March, 2020 to 2021. The Nintendo GameCube was up 70%. Nintendo 64, 43%. Game Boy Advance, 42%. Almost equal. In television, you wouldn't believe it. In television, almost 40%. It's at 39%. And that right there, the Intellivision, that is a direct, that is a direct proof of what we were saying earlier about nostalgic being inside, right? I mean, that's, that's the, that's the 30, 40, 50, 60 somethings, you know, Intellivision, they grew up with the Intellivision. That's. I I don't think the Intellivision was the hot retro gaming console to collect for, you know, lately. So I think you're right. That's a, I mean, that's gotta be a direct result of of uh, all those things we, we discussed earlier. Absolutely. How about Game Boy Color up 36% average? And just just barely scratching the surface here, 
I say it's barely. It's at 30, 35%, which is huge. The PlayStation 2. All right. So there it is, the PlayStation 2. So there is, there is all of the young kids in the early 2000s who their first console was the PS2 getting nostalgic for it mm-hmm. at home, right? You know, you think about it. It, it trips me out when I, 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 I feel like such an old fart, but I'm like, if you were born in 2000, holy shit, you're 20, you just become of age. You're 21 years beers. old. You're drinking <laughs> beers. You're out there <laughs> drinking. It blows yeah. me away. You know what I mean? But they're 21 year olds. They're 25 year olds. They're getting nostalgic, right? The one that mm-hmm. PS2 up 35%. How about this? The consoles with the smallest increase in average, there still was an increase. Because this was across the board, folks. But here's the ones that had the smallest increase. The Atari 2600 at 7%. That blows me away. Just that alone. You know, the, the I was just thinking about that. I bet that's... Because you, you know, the Atari is... I think the Atari is older, the oldest console on this list. I think it's is it older than television or pretty... Maybe a little they're, bit. I don't know. Yeah. Neck and neck, maybe. They're right close. I think the Intellivision came just... Oh, I don't want to say because I'm not sure. I think it came right yeah. before it, but they're right around the same time. Right on the same I time. I think uh, the, the 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 Atari crowd is are probably the most responsible people because they're like, ah, eh, I should probably put this stimulus money in my bank account because I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, there's exactly. the older people, whereas the younger people are like 64. You know, yeah, just going crazy. absolutely. Yeah, because the uh, television <laughs> and 2600 that that was that was what 78, 79. Yeah, like late 70s. I think, yeah. yeah. So. so, yeah. Um, here's one that increased the, the the smallest amount. The Xbox 360, 13%. And the PlayStation 3, 14%. What did I just say earlier? Now is a great time. Now is a great time to collect for 360 and PS3. And that's proof. That's proof. It's mm-hmm. did the less. I mean, it's still up. They're still up. But right now is the time to collect for those, man. Really and Atari, is. apparently. <laughs> and Atari, yeah. I mean, let's let's be honest, man. I mean, I I think I offloaded all of my twenty six hundred stuff. Stephanie had a whole bunch of twenty six hundred stuff. We just basically bundled it together, and we went and gave it, you know, to a local shop here. And it's just, it's not, you know, it's not really worth anything. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have a lot of rare stuff. I mean, even ET, that was a free dumpster game right after mm-hmm. that documentary came out it's fetching what five bucks now i mean you know what i mean so if you want atari now i mean that's a great time to get it if you really want to get a 2600 jump back in man get play some river raid you'll love it i love river raid yeah i think it was just the, a sign of the times because you know of course the atari was like right around the video game crash i think um oh, so definitely. they just made so much there, there was so much saturation of games at that point that you know, there's some collectors out there that, and there's some, there is some rare stuff, but there also is just tons of stuff. And it's just, you know, that demographic, um, I don't know, all, all the things, Atari, it's, it's pretty, pretty dang affordable right now. So Definitely. yeah, go for it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then rounding out the list is the original OG Xbox at 19% and the PSP, which here we go. It's at 20%. It's going up. There's the PSP. Oh, man, I just got done saying um, the last couple of years, maybe three or four years. Now's a good time to do PSP. Do it now. Actually, the prime time to do it was 20, 
2012, 2013. That right. was prime. That was right when they were discontinuing everything. That was like when that was like during the v, like the Vita launch. I want to say is that. Yep, you're right. One hundred percent. Even Walmart uh, were closing out all of their new uh, PSPs. They were still on the shelf in 2012, uh, 2013. And I remember I picked up a 3001 model, whatever it was, uh, new in box. It was like 30 bucks or something, something crazy, just offloading. Um, but yeah, that's slowly starting to go up too. So think, start thinking about, start thinking about those to collect if you really want to get into grabbing some stuff. And, and it's still sad when you think about it because it's up 20%, 19%. You know, 13% from what it was a year ago. It's just crazy. It's crazy numbers. It, it really is. Um, a little side tangent. People probably were wondering about uh, Pokemans. Pokemans, Pokemans. The games with the biggest price increase, here it is, were anything Pokemon related. Complete in box games, graded games, even just in box games. Pokemon uh, Emerald for Game Boy Advance increased 145%. Pokemon Heart and Gold uh, for Nintendo DS increased 133%. That's a direct, that's a direct nostalgic trip, and especially when Switch stuff recently coming out, that also helped. The new Pokemon Snap was released. They did a bunch. Nintendo dropped some Pokemon stuff recently, mm -hmm. so that definitely stimulated the market. I have a an, an anecdote. So this is sort of a kind of a, if you have soldering skills. So Pokemon games, the, their batteries die. So either you can't save, or on the advanced games, you, the time based events no longer trigger. So if you can solder, you can change a Pokemon battery, which may you know which may cost you between I don't know one two dollars maybe depending how many you buy. But um, a lot of times I'll find. Pokemon games at my local stores, they'll sell for cheap. I'll ask about them with dead batteries and they'll sell them to me for like 12 to 20, to 20 bucks because they, you know, they can't really sell them as is. Um, and I'll change the batteries and sell them to fund my uh, uh, games habit, which has gotten more expensive. So I was visiting my family and I picked up a Pokemon Emerald with a dead battery for, for I think, $18. I thought, oh, okay, cool. I haven't checked the prices on the Pokemon games. I may sell it for, I don't know, 50, 60 bucks. I uh, sold it for $140 with a new battery. Wow. Wow. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was like, uh, is this right? So that's a two tip. Well, that's a, a big tip for you guys. If you can solder, um, you know, changing batteries in Pokemon games are a great way to make a little extra money for your, to support your own gaming habits. But uh, it's just, I couldn't believe how much it had gone up in price. I can't believe it. I mean, that's insane. And those, yeah, those batteries are soldered in, aren't they? Yes, they are. That um, blows me away that they do that. They just really yeah. didn't expect, I guess, people then, to play them that long or do them that long. I mean, wow, I think you're nuts. right. But the thing is with the, like, you know, for the, the battery backups are also, of course, present in like other cartridge games like Super Nintendo and the case of like Zelda on the original Nintendo yeah, um, yeah. and then Genesis. But uh, I think because of the smaller size of the Game Boy games, uh, they didn't last as long because they, they, they couldn't put a larger battery in, so they wouldn't hold as much charge. So all those game batteries are dying um, around, you know, the last few years and around this time. Right. So I think right. that's sort of another thing, you know, to, to keep to look out for. And it also doesn't hurt, help to have... I, I would put money on that Pokemon games are the most commonly... Uh, duped 
or you know like fake games out there yeah yeah you're still right you're still right all of those they show up very often yeah be very very careful if you get get into pokemon collect especially now with the prices going up you're gonna get all the scammers saying oh well i want a piece of that right and they're gonna start making those yeah i would i wouldn't buy any pokemon game that i can't don't have shots of the the circuit board on and then also make sure you get one with a new battery um but probably better yet, just don't get one right now because <laughs> it's probably not the best time. Yeah, true, <laughs> true, very true. Wise words. All right, so you're probably sitting there saying, wow, okay, so I can't collect anything ever. Not necessarily true. Um, we're going we're gonna to just close out the episode by talking about some tips and things you can do to help better prepare you um, and some things that you can think about when you're out there collecting. And maybe some options here. So no, not all hope is lost. It's not all gone. Um, we discussed a lot of things throughout this episode that I hope you were able to maybe take pieces and parts and apply to your collecting needs. But also, I think we should get the hard-to-hear news right out of the way, right at the beginning of, of, of this section here. And yes, it's hard to hear, we know, but retro game collecting right now is more difficult and it's more expensive than ever. Again, we talked about it. We haven't seen this type of thing before ever. And that's just the reality. No magic wand, no trickery, no, like, there's no shortcut to this. There's nothing we can say that's going to change that. So unless you're willing to pull out your wallet, pull out your purse, and throw down these dead presidents on these games, there's just nothing, nothing's going to change, right? You, you're going to have to pay a premium for some of the stuff. But there are some things that you can do to help better this as you go along. I made a small list here, so let's ramble off some of the stuff. Um, I think you can find some deals. It's not that they don't exist. It's just that they're really hard to find because a lot of people know what they, quote, know what they have. I'll put it on there because that always pisses me off. Because what happens is like even now, like it's hard to go to a thrift store, especially like Goodwill, because Goodwill, uh, I have a love-hate relationship with Goodwill. Um, I filmed many episodes of our thrifting episodes in Goodwills. Our Goodwill stores are very nice and they're they're large and they have a lot of inventory. But what happens is they 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 have people in the back who bring in this stuff, but also look it up and price it. They use eBay, they use price charting, they do all this stuff. And then if it's really valuable or what they feel is valuable, they send it off to their auction site on their corporate auction site and auction it off. It's it's actually pretty disgusting. That that's definitely frustrating. Sometimes you'll get um, an employee that either doesn't know, doesn't care, and just puts it through on the shelf on the, out on the floor, and you're good. So that's number one, is just walking in and rolling the dice, which isn't really a great... It isn't really a great um, tactic. It's it's fun because it's the thrill of the hunt, and you may find some stuff, and we we film it. We like it. That's exciting, but typically, that's not really a great tactic of, of getting consistent results and collecting and finding pretty much anything um maybe cheaper right because you know you may find a good price on it but the inventory is probably not going to be there so you may have bad luck with that um i want to mention that most shops um who you know who resell this stuff you know they want to clear their shelves out for newer stuff if it's a retail store the floor space is is gold right that is their that is their moneymaker. The floor, the floor space, the walls, the ground, everywhere they can put product, that's their bottom line. So 
if they have something on the floor that isn't selling, they may be likely to discount it and sell it at a cheaper rate. I've seen this personally. I talked about this earlier with Bookman's. Bookman's had a bunch of PS1. Nobody was buying it. They took it right off the shelf. They put it back. They brought it back out later once people started to get nostalgic for it and cycle through. So you may want to really look at that sort of thing and kind of follow. If you have a local game store, uh, look at stuff and see if maybe that there's some discounts. Uh, GameSlop used to have their little bargain bins or like, you know, uh, three for 10 bucks. Um, you know, usually these games are like, you know, missing cases or manuals or they're loose or whatever. But still, if that's what you're after, you still can find deals. Sometimes at your big box stores, your Walmarts, at your Targets, at other places or whatever have you, they will have discount sections for current gen stuff. Sometimes, and I've seen this, I actually, during the PSP days, went to our local Target and they had on the shelf an entire rack of PSP games, accessories, cases, and the component cables all just on the shelf sitting there. What happens is with these retail stores is they have inventory in the back. This is pro tip. And this is, uh, yeah, this is good to do. It's good to check out these areas. They have inventory in the back, right? When they do inventory, they don't do inventory they should do it often. They usually do it like once a year at the end of every year or maybe quarter one of every year. They take inventory stuff. When they find stuff that is old, it's been there forever, maybe they there's a box of PSP games they didn't see, it was tucked away. They say, look, we still have a SKU number. We still have a barcode. It's still in our system as inventory. Discount it heavily and get it on the shelf and get rid of it. We don't have a spot for it out here. We, mm-hmm. we stopped selling this stuff 10 years ago. We see it. So what happens is they just put it on the discount shelf. They It's usually an end cap and it's like a clearance rack. And you can go in there and sometimes, like, dude, go in there weekly. You can you can find stuff. We did. We and we got lucky. This is one of the most luckiest times we've ever, ever had. We got official Sony branded component cables. I got official Sony carrying cases, AC adapters, and a whole bunch of games that were just on discount. Like seriously discounted. Like I think the component cables were like 10 bucks, which I thought wow. was a great deal. Um, and you know, you can find this stuff. So not all hope is lost at the big box stores. Check the clearance rack. That's my that's my tip for that. But of course, for the retail stores, for the mom and pop places, the independents, just ask them. Just ask mm-hmm. them, like, hey, are you moving? Are you planning on like moving any of this stuff or discounting any of this? Like they're typically the answer is no because prices are like crazy the last year, but pre pandemic, you really could go in and be like, Hey, like, are you going to be moving any of this stuff? Or are you planning on getting rid of this? Like, Hey, I see you have a lot of game boy games. Like, are you doing any discounts? Like, you know, 10 of them for 50 bucks or like, what are we doing? Just ask, just form a relationship with the people there don't be, you know, don't be a dick or anything, but just, you know, be polite and courteous and, and, and form a, a relationship, a bond with them. And, and, and they may be likely to, to work with you and maybe do something for you. Not always. And they don't have to, uh, it's their store, respect their store, but it's best to, to just ask, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Hey, I want to, I want to, I want to buy a lot of these. Is there anything that we can do? Maybe work something out and maybe they will. It never hurts to ask as long as you're nice, courteous and, had the right intentions, you know, you can ask anybody 
you know, and you won't seem like you're, I mean, they, they want to sell what they have. So it's not going to insult them unless you're just like, you're like trying to get, get the games for pennies on a dollar, but ask for discounts, you know, a lot of times they, they they're looking to move stuff and they need the shelf space. So I yeah, right. And you're helping keep their doors open too. And the lights on, just don't go in there and be like, Hey, um, I'm really interested in this Einhander. Would you take 20 for it? Like, <laughs> don't just don't do that. You know, that's one way to shut the door completely. And you, then you're never going to get anything like, just don't insult them. Just be, be respectful to, to the staff there. They, we should respect them. They deal with the public. <laughs> we, oh, yes. we know how the public is. Yes. It can be oh, a little, yes. little dicey, a little dicey. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then lastly here too, is um, speaking of like, always ask, you can still find deals out there if you go to a good, um, uh, not Goodwills, but um, garage sales and estate sales. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about these is that you kind of have to be proactive on it. So you have to, and again, this is maintaining your your composure and maintaining your respect. Um, but what I found is if you go in there and you're friendly and you're personable and you're just you're you're nice to everyone, and you start a conversation out, you can then ask them politely, like. And I've done this at garage sales and had very good luck doing this. Usually it's mom or dad or grandma sitting there chilling, you know, with their, they got their drink, they got their iced tea. They're just trying to get through the day, sell off their stuff. Maybe it's hard for them. Maybe they're moving, you know, if it's an estate sale, maybe someone passed away. This is a very difficult situation. So you, you really should have, you should have some empathy and you really should go in there and just be very respectful. And so don't come at it like, you know, where are your games? Give me all your games. Like, just be, be chill, be totally chill with this, but mm-hmm. ask them politely, you know, Hey, I noticed that you have this electronic device. Maybe it's a TV and maybe it's an entertainment center. Just pick something that's kind of relevant to what you're after. Like, Hey, I noticed you have this. Um, maybe it's one controller. Even it could be a super Nintendo. I've had that happen one time. There was a super Nintendo controller just sitting there. And I was like, I noticed you have this, this video game controller. Um, by chance, do you have any of the other things to go with this? Like maybe the games or there's a video game console or anything like that you may have that's not out. And then you'll see them. And if you, if you do it respectfully, they'll be like, you know what, you know what, maybe hold on a second. And they will actually get up and go into their house and start grabbing things and bring it out to you. This has happened many, many times before. And it's very, very amazing because you're, your heart starts pumping because you're like, oh my gosh, they just brought out a box full of all these Super Nintendo heavy hitters and you're tripping, right? Mm-hmm. But then, you know what I mean? Like then ask them what they want for it. You know, ask them what they want for it and and pay whatever it is that they want for it unless it's some crazy number. But, you know, res- respect them. Respect them. You know what I mean? Respect mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had very good luck doing that as well. And I know a lot of people who go out garage sailing or estate sailing uh, would would agree with that. Um, I just I, I wrote down a few as you were talking. Um, so actually, I've probably purchased most of the games during this whole time on the pandemic, almost exclusively exclusively on eBay. Believe it or not, which is probably it's number one the the best place to buy games because there's so many of them. But it's also the worst place to buy games. He's a gambling man, folks. He's a gambling because, man uh, <laughs> because there are many. Uh, Many fakes, etc. But if you're educated, if uh, you know, you can do okay. Um, True. But so, so my eBay tips, uh, and this is how I've gotten most of my good deals, is 
Um, well, I've noticed lately it, for auctions, it's not the best time because people are, have extra time. Auctions will almost always lately go for way more than the buy it now off see stuff, like a lot more because people are, and people will, will pay whatever at this point. But um, I always go uh, buy it now, search for that, search for newly listed. And I'll just search for PS1 and I'll just scroll through and do a very vague or very kind of general search. Um, and you'll find good deals, stuff, but stuff will get snatched up. Like I've missed out on games multiple times only, you know, and then finally I get a good deal on a game. Um, don't be afraid to ask if it's a best offer. Make them a best offer. Uh, I like to look through and see what else they're selling. If they're selling a little bit of everything, they'll usually take less because they're not attached to the games. If it's just like somebody selling games, they're going to want to get their the market value. But prepare to miss out. Prepare to get, like Jason was saying, to get uh, potentially screwed over. But you have the, you know, fortunately they'll have the uh, eBay is easy to return stuff for the most part. And I've it's great good for luck. buyers. Yes, it's a great yes. market for buyers. It's shitty for sellers, but buyers, you're pretty much covered. Right. Exactly. Um, you just have to have a lot of time and prepare to be vigilant and use a lot of time. Um, also, like Jason said, buy local. Um, a lot of stores didn't survive the pandemic um, or are just now getting kind of back on their feet. There are good deals to be had. They want you in the store. You know, if you feel safe to, to go and shop locally or shop in person, you can find great deals. You know, they need your business. They're the, the retro game stores are, you know, they're the kind of the lifeblood of our gaming community. You know, without them, you'd be stuck with, you know, just eBay or the, the you know, bigger box stores. So give them your business. Um, Facebook Marketplace, Facebook groups, your friends. You can find deals that are typically a little bit le- lower than eBay, you know, because they're, they're competing against them and they don't have to deal with eBay fees. Um, ask for package deals. If you're yeah. buying multiple games, say, what kind of deal can you give me? I'm usually very generous if I'm selling games, so people might be the same way. I also ask for free shipping if you're buying multiple games. Um, but do unless you know the person, don't use PayPal gift. Bad idea. Uh, for yeah, no reasons. protection. No protection. No protection. And lastly, I just thought about this. Uh, either You can either sell your games that you already have or trade. Your games, other games have gone up in price, but so have your games. If you have games that, oh, wow, I, I didn't know I had this, or I didn't know this is worth money. I never play it. Sell it and get what you want. You know, you don't have to collect everything. Or, right. you know, there, there's ways around this. And and over time, things will get a little bit better. But uh, you have to jump through some extra hoops or just win the lottery, and you'll be, you'll be good. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, those are all really, really great tips. Yeah, eBay is a scary one, so th- I'm glad you you mentioned some of that and brought that stuff up to help everyone out. Yeah, uh, the the whole um, one last thing I'll mention before we wrap it up is that you, you said buying in bulk, and that just sparked my um, uh, a thought on that is sometimes it's way more difficult for somebody who has a, a large collection to just individually piece it out one by one and sell it off individually. Now you will get more money doing it that way. And that's typically what people will think about doing, but sometimes you'll, you'll be in a position or maybe, maybe they just, they don't care about that. They just like, look, I want to just get rid of all of it and and move on and be done. So they put Mm -hmm. it all as a lot. It's called a lot. So 
they'll they'll go to price. Well, here's how the evolution of that works. They have a huge bundle of games. They go to price charting. They put them all in. They see what the average is. They see what their collection is average worth. Let's say they have uh, a massive um, uh, PS2 bundle, right? They they price it out and they say, okay, it's worth price charting average says it's worth about $2,000. Let's just throw that number out. Cool. It's worth 2000 They get on Facebook Marketplace or wherever, or eBay or OfferUp, whatever have you, and they say, look, here's a screenshot of it. It's worth about average 2000 I want to sell it all individual. I'm looking for $1,800 for it. Okay? If it's worth average 2000 1800 that's not a bad deal. They're under what their average is. They could have gone on the other side and said, oh, I want 2100 You know what I mean? So they're right, right. there. That's pretty fair, pretty average. Everyone and their mom's going to write in and be like, please sell me just this one game. They're going to be hit up with comments and comments and comments. People, please break it up. Sell this. I only need this. I only want this. He's like, no, 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 no. I want it all together. Come in with a reasonable offer. Talk to that person. And I've done this before too. And buying in bulk. So you can say, look, I'll give you 1500 How do you feel about that? And they say, you know what? All right. Maybe 1600 Are you like, can we meet in halfway? 1650 Cool. Done deal. Right? So you just right there scored a, a big, massive lot of games that's on average worth about maybe 2000 maybe a little more, maybe a little less, but you got it at a cheaper rate. You're helping that, that seller out by getting rid of it all. And you're getting a, a wide stack of inventory. And this is what a, I'm just, I, I basically just saying what local game stores do. This is that, exactly what they do. They just mm-hmm. buy it, but it's also good for a collector. If you want to collect this stuff, then maybe right. keep the games that you want you know, and then you can, um, you know, either sell off other ones or trade them in or do whatever. This is the collecting process. This doesn't just happen like overnight. Like we, Cameron and I, we talk about this sort of thing and, and hope that it helps. But like, this is years and years and years and years in the making. Like, it takes years to do it. And if you're going to do it now, just understand that you may have a few extra roadblocks in place as inventory is, you know, a little low prices are i guess i could say skyrocketing they're really high right now mm-hmm. but there there is still some thrill to go out and hunt there still is um great games to be had and there is um great satisfaction in going out and buying local or supporting your local game store and supporting um these businesses that have struggled a lot uh through the last year so i think um I think on that, I think everything's been uh, really gone through very thoroughly. I've really enjoyed sitting here chatting with you, Cameron. I, I, I really appreciate you and your friendship and your support and just uh, everything you you've brought to the show with your voicemails throughout the weeks. And uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show and talk with you. And uh, you've had really, really great points throughout this. And I just want to thank you again for being here. Oh, thanks, Jason. You know, I'm, uh, I've, I've first started, started out as a fan. I can say I'm also a friend and still a fan, of course. Um, really great stuff you're doing. Uh, you're the only podcast I listen to on a regular basis. Um, so, and it's always entertaining. I'm learning new stuff every, every week. Um, and yeah, it's been a pleasure. I'm, I feel honored to come on twice and I'll just leave, leave you guys with one bit of advice. Um, if you uh, if if you're looking for my number one piece of advice, uh, 
unless you're financially really strapped, do not sell your entire Sega Genesis collection 10 years ago and buy an EverDrive. Because <laughs> then you'll regret it 10 years later, pay more money for the games, but, uh, but then you'll feel whole again. So just avoid that whole cycle. Um, and uh, yeah, that's my advice. Hold on to your Sega Genesis games. Just hold on. To them. Hold on to them. Hold, get the games, hold on to the games, collect the games, and play the games. Enjoy them. That's, right. That's what they're Absolutely. there for. We've always enjoyed them. We enjoyed them as kids. We enjoyed them in our teens. We enjoy them as adults. That's what they're there for. They're, they're our escape. It's like any form of entertainment, a movie, music, media, art, poetry. This is all stuff to take us to a different place, a different world, when maybe your world is a little bit crazy. It may help ease that burden just ever so slightly. Absolutely. Before we wrap it up again, I just want to say, um, well, number one, uh, Cameron, if you, if you want to, do you want to plug something you want to tell people to go? I know you have your, you have your accounts, you have your Instagram, you have your boss pedal project and you've got cams game room. I mean, I'm already plugging it for you, but if you want to let people know where they can connect with you and and find you and follow what you're doing, uh, please feel free. Uh, okay. Yeah, sure. I have, uh, I guess my, my main Instagram account is uh, the Boss Pedal Project. Of course, it's more music related. But if you're a guitarist, you like games, you like action figures, etc., um, you can check me out there. And then I have some more for fun accounts. I have Cam's Game Room, and I think Cam's Toy Room, both on both on Instagram. Very small, not looking. You know, I just like to post stuff I have just for fun as a diversion. Um, so yeah, check me out on on the on the gram, the old gram. That's right. Very cool. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. Man, thanks so much for having me on, Jason. It's, it's been a pleasure. I looked, look forward to doing it uh, again in, in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of the near future, near and uh, distant future, I want to say this before we wrap up this podcast episode, uh, almost on three hours now. This is great. This is this is a great way to, to send it off. Um, we are, I, I've been very open about it on the show, is that you know Stephanie and I, we bought a house and we're moving and we're currently packing things up. I posted a picture, uh, I think last week, um, to show kind of the progress of where the house is at and, uh, it's moving along very, very quickly. And in fact, um, possibly they say possibly within the next month or two, we should be able to take possession and move in. And that's actually upped in our timeline. We were expecting it to be a little bit later. Uh, but the housing market is crazy and they're fast tracking a lot of stuff to get it done. So that's good news, uh, for us in order to, to move in. It's also um, kind of scary because uh, we have a lot to pack still. So uh, I'm saying all this is because I am more than likely, well, I I am going to be, I'm going to be down for quite some time here, probably the next month or two as far as um, producing entertainment and content here because everything is going to be packed up. We are taking our time with our move. We're packing slowly. We're not stressing ourselves out. We're not going to bust our backs uh, you know what I mean? We're we're taking it a very, very calm and collected approach. I have a lot of gear. I have a lot of games. I have a lot of stuff to account for. And I would like it to all be organized and in areas where I know where it is. It's not going to be this big jumbled mess. It's going to be collected and organized. So I have a methodical way of packing. And so I need to do that, but I need to take everything down. So the podcast station, the, you know, the the studio recording, uh, microphones, everything, mixers, all the stuff needs to come down. And it's just not possible for me to produce stuff with it, obviously packed. So I want to let you all know, uh, 
for the next couple of months, I think at least uh, I'm going to be down uh, from producing content, but I'm still going to be active on all of my social media, um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can follow me there at Heine House. Of course, if you haven't already, please do. And I'm also going to be active doing mobile stuff on YouTube. So make sure to go to YouTube, uh, the Heine House on YouTube, of course, and give me a follow because I'll be doing some some live vlogging. We'll be doing some updates, probably just from the phone, super uh, low production quality. It's going to be just off the cusp, but it'll be fun. I'll still connect with you all. And then once we get moved in, I'm going to rebuild everything. And it's going to take time. Folks, we just kind of got our forever home. So I am on the the front lines of building something out for the first time and hopefully for the last time. So I want to do it right. I don't want to just throw everything in the room and set up and I'm ready to go. I actually want to, I'm doing acoustic treatment to my studio. I'm I'm putting, you know, things in that um, are going to help benefit my productions. I'm building out the podcast room. You know, I'm, I'm looking at paneling. I'm looking at, you know, Again, the acoustic treatment. I'm looking at uh, studio desks. I'm redoing things. So it's just, this is a big step. Like this is huge. So it's very exciting. And I want to take it slowly and I want to make sure that I do it uh, right. You know, I want to measure three times and cut once. You know what I mean? So I don't like redoing things when I don't have to. So that's the news from me on my end, which I think this is a great episode to let simmer here for the next few months for everyone who's listening. If you're listening to it after the fact, um, it's a great one. And I hope it has um, enlightened you a bit on some, not just, I mean, not really just collecting PS1. I mean, we went there, but we talked a good deal about collecting in general. And I think it's a lot of great tips for everyone to have. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I think this transcends PS1 or just games to pretty much any kind of collectible. And just as, as they used to say, these unprecedented times. But it's true. They really are. You know, They really are. Before we go want to thank again all of the patrons, all the support that you give right here in your pledges. Thank you so much, everyone on the ground floor, main floor, in Gameloft. And you too, Cameron. You're on there. Thank you oh. for your support. Appreciate you. <laughs> oh, sure. Why not? And um, with that being said, I think we'll wrap it up. Folks, um, be well. Take care of one another. And uh, we'll see you. Well, gosh, this will be the last time you see this setup here. When we come back, it's going to be in a new place, in a new area. And uh, upgraded the, the the super super Heine House gaming and tech podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all, be safe, be awesome. We'll catch you later, Cameron. Thank you, sir. Good night. Uh, thanks, Jason. Take care.